Welcome to Vegas Geekus. We're your hosts. I'm Randy. And I'm Joe. This is episode 40 of our podcast, and the date is Tuesday, June 8th, 2021. One day early. Yeah, a little bit early this week. I'm going I'm to actually play tomorrow night, little Bobby. You cheating? Are you cheating? I'm cheating on him. Yes. Oh, my word. 100%. I don't so, know how to handle that. Well, come to grips, man. <laughs> Yeah, so anywho, how's it been, man? Well, it hasn't been that long since I've seen you, but how, how has this week been hard after your long weekend off? Was it tough getting back and having to work? It's been really humid. I don't know if you can tell on the video. I've got all kinds of – I broke out all along the edge of where I have my hat when I'm yeah. outside, you know, um, heat bumps. Yep. I don't have heat bumps, but I got sunburn. I biked about 20 miles this morning and 150 push-ups. Oh, dang, oh my gosh. All at one time? Oh, no. Heck no. <laughs> That'd be insane. 30. 30 at a pop, roughly. 30 pop? Yeah. I was tired. Really tired. Not great push-ups. I mean, I was I was up on my toes, and I was going down pretty pretty low, but, you know, big fat dude is kind of hard, so. Right, right. I was sweating, and I was beat. I was drained, so, yeah, I had a good, good workout. Yeah, I had a good workout. I was out in the humidity getting squeezed. I bet. All day. day. Yeah. All right. I think we got a little call in action. Yes. You know what? I have to, once again, I forgot that um, Anchor's stupid interface yes. doesn't tell me dates. Oh, I had some issues trying to get a hold of Big John and Red Dice listened to their podcast on the Quartermaster, which is very good. And uh, I uh trouble with SpeakPipe. I don't know what the deal is. So yeah. Go ahead. I, said, I actually left messages on the internet. I just went to their anchor website, found it much easier, and actually went to John's webpage and just left a message there. I think you can do a minute and a half on his thing. Yes. Which is cool. Yes, yes. So I found but I, I, what I need to find out. It looks like we have um, three people that called in, so that's great. Excellent. Let's make sure I can hear them, bud. No. We don't want Come that. Come on. We don't want that. I want to hear. Play it for me. All right. Let's start it. Hello. My name is Taylor, and I'm a gatekeeper. More seriously, whenever the subject of gatekeeping arises, I like to tell a story about a friend of mine who was on vacation in a foreign town. Bar hopping in the evening for fun. They came across a particularly lively establishment, but were, were accosted by the bouncer. He simply said, do you two like chicks? When they said yes, he said, then you guys aren't going to want to be here. So what had happened, they had mistakenly wandered into the gay district of that downtown scene. They said, thanks, turned around, and went to a different establishment. There was no judgment. The bartender did not care that they were straight, and my friends did not care that the occupants of the club were gay. They just realized that wasn't the club for them. Uh, yeah, simple enough. Yeah. So, with that context in mind, 
Oxford English Dictionary defines gatekeeping as controlling access to an area or resource. Do I control access to my game? Yes, I do. But I do it as a service to the players. I know that I run an old school game. I know that I run high lethality and focus on the treasure. And I want to make that evident to people who are joining our table. I recognize, like the uh, one nightclub versus another, each game table is going to be different and it's going to cater to a different style of play. By being forthright with new players about how my table works, I prevent them from wasting an evening on something that they don't enjoy, and I protect my players from people coming in with different expectations who might mess up the already established rhythm. I, you know, I got a comment on that. I agree with Taylor. I wish I was better at. I wish I had been better in the past at communicating those things. Uh, luckily, I've been with friends that have grown with me, you and several others. We've grown as players together. I don't mean like we're somehow we're now so mature as gamers. Just we've we've learned together, and things have gone up and down and good and bad times. But I think it's interesting that he would say that if you can communicate. Sometimes I wonder. I think I have a better handle now on how I like to play. That's a good point. You really should new players say, "Here is how we normally roll." And just make it really clear. I think it's hard, though, when you first meet somebody, if you like somebody nice enough, say, to invite them to your house, if you like them well enough, I should say, and you're getting along, you know, personally, and then gaming comes up, then you invite them to play. That's a, you know, you got to, you may, might be hesitant to say too much. I don't know. It just seems like I can never think of how to describe it. If they're a gamer, how I would tell them this is what my game is like. How would you do it? I, I know. Uh, I was just thinking the same, same or similar, something similar. Uh, mm -hmm. I think you'd have to keep it simple and probably use the most uh, broad sweeping terms so that you weren't, you know, spending a whole lot of time on it, but that you were hitting the highlights like uh, OSR. Uh, yeah. We're old school. Um, we'd like to do a lot of combat or. Maybe we, if you, that's not it, maybe it's, we do a lot of role-playing here. We don't focus on the combat too much. You know, there's probably a, a, like a uh, elevator pitch is what they call it. Your best uh, minute on how you sell your game. And, and it, may not, it may not uh, work. You might sell them that and they're like, all right. And then you play and they're like, okay, that's not what you said, but. Correct. Or, or. <laughs> I mean, they'll, they might think that, and sometimes people fill in gaps with their own expectations, even though you've said the right words. Yeah. So you can do your best and, you know, whatever happens. Um, if you're all adults, it shouldn't really matter a whole lot. No. Um, if it doesn't, if it does the, the gameplay at the table doesn't suit you, you could just say, you know, this isn't for me. No offense to anybody. Or you yeah. can sit there and play the rest of the evening out and then uh, just say, you know, I'll find a different group or whatever. Yeah. But uh, as long as everybody's going to be adults about it and not have a breakdown at the table, right. no matter which side of the equation you're on, right? Um, then it shouldn't matter a whole lot what you say precisely, as long as you're trying your best. I wonder if Taylor's had those issues where 
there was a miscommunication. Someone didn't understand what he meant, or maybe he didn't say what he meant exactly. I bet that's probably happened. It's possible. And, uh, you know, we're in a pretty cool situation where we can draw a lot of people that that we know. We all know each other's play styles, and we know mm-hmm. who fits good and who's not going to care one way mm-hmm. or the other. And uh, we don't have the problems that maybe some other folks do. They might have to go to a, a, a game store or play online a lot at this point. And online, you never know who you got coming. If you, you know? do the whole crapshoot thing, unless you have yeah. you and four of the people show up every week. Sure, you sure. Show and play. But if you, yeah. Or convention plays can be a pain. Yep. But uh, as far as that goes, as far as I know, I, I you know, I don't know about that. I don't, yeah, I've never gone to a convention. Yeah, yeah. But I have done some game store play where you're like, oh boy, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, we got one more. To be clear, I have never kicked someone from my table for anything other than their impact on the table. I have kicked players who were disruptive. I have had players leave who were not interested in the style of play. However, I have played with the whole spectrum of ethnicity. I have played with the whole spectrum of sexuality, and I've had transgender individuals play at my table also. The point is, we had a shared love of the game. We had a shared love of the adventure. And at the end of the day, that's what gaming is about. So gatekeeping, I think you are right that the term has been co-opted by people who want to control how you do your game. And that's ironic. It's a projection. The people who want you to change are the ones using your control as ammunition. Just my two cents. I agree. I think that's something we brought up in in our in our uh, ranty rant last uh, week. But thank you very much, Taylor. Yeah, your uh, two cents are uh, well taken and no change. We're going to keep that. Keep it. Yep. Hey, guys, Jason here. So I guess we'll start from the back and come forward. Gatekeeping. I do not disagree with you. It definitely happens, but it's not a great word for it. And if we fix it by just calling the people jerks like they are, that works for me. It really does. As far as the main body of your show, talking about downsizing your collection and all that, oh yeah, if if you have the space to keep it and you've got a contingency for what's going to happen to it when you're gone, then it's all good. Especially if you have a local group or something, you know, it's like, hey honey, if anything ever happens to me, just call Randy and Joe and they'll come get all my books and, you know, take them to the cabin. And, and that's cool. I, nothing wrong with that. But, you know, like in my case, I, I mean, some of it I can give to my son, but, you know, he's not interested in all of it. Hey, you put it on tape. When mm-hmm. you go, it's Randy and Joe who get that's your right. stuff. Thanks. Thanks, Jason. We got the Internet as our witnesses. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably failing on my part that he's not interested in all my games. I should probably um, work on that. But, no, for the most part, I'm with you. I'm going to do another segment on my show, too, on this. Although I think we've kind of hit the big part. Obviously, PDFs you don't have to worry about. 
But if if you are going to scale back, what does that look? You know, what could it look like potentially? And it's more of a more of a what if, right? You know, the Marvel Comics what if or a DC or the Else Worlds. You know, just a a thought experiment. You know, if I did pare back, what would it look like? I mean, there are definitely things. If there are games that you haven't touched for years and you don't enjoy, you know, you don't pull them out every now and then and read them and you don't think you're ever going to play them, then really you might as well sell them and get the money for it and spend that money on something you are going to enjoy. But there are some games that I'm never going to play that I do enjoy reading and looking at, so I, I just enjoy owning them. I wouldn't worry too too awfully much about what your uh, whether your son likes exactly precisely all the things you do. Uh, so expose him to the to the different game systems that you have, which you have a ton. From yeah, just mean, from hearing the little bit of your podcast that I have, you yeah. seem to have tons. Yeah. And, and over time, he'll develop his own tastes, and it'll probably it will probably be similar. As, Chances are good. I mean, like my daughter, she's a. I had her play D and D when she was young. She's playing well with her husband. She likes it, but I wouldn't call her by any stretch of the imagination. She doesn't care about. How, I mean, I don't think she cares about collecting books or anything. So. Right. Yeah. Anyhow, I just figured I'd let you down last time by not calling in, so I better give you a call this time. Hope you guys are all doing well. Hope your family's doing well, and I will talk to you next time. Take care. That's good, Jason. You've you've earned lots of credit, dude. It's okay. You take a little time off. Um, <laughs> you think uh, it's interesting though. Uh, Jason's going to do downsizing. It's funny because I'll tell you, Jason, I stole the idea from you. <laughs> you you mentioned on your podcast a while back, and I was like, "That's a great idea." <laughs> So we got to it first, though. It's ours. No, I doubt it. <laughs> I know. I heard it on Gaming and BS a couple years ago. So we weren't first. Probably the best, but not first. Well, it's an idea that you've been kicking around yeah. off and yeah. on for years. Yeah. Because you have a lot. And I do the opposite of downsizing. So and, talk and, about it. I don't do it. And the other thing is having a lot of stuff does introduce stress just by having it. Yeah, just stuff. Yeah. Just having stuff. Uh, if you have it well organized, it's less stressful. And if it's not in your way, it's less stressful. But you still have to manage it, oh, which is yeah. stressful. Not Starting a with, huge degree, but some. Starting with college, when I, and I moved to IU from a small town in Indiana, you know, I went to a local camp, college, uh, regional satellite campus for a couple of years. Then I moved to Bloomington. And I thought, I got to take my comics with me. So I loved them. And I did that for many years. Went to grad school and I got married and I lugged them. I lugged them. Changed apartments, did this, you know, got divorced and I lugged them. Got a new place and I lugged them. Got married again and I lugged them. I mean, after a while. You know, you know, you never picked up on the the fact that there is such a thing called storage. (laughs) Right. Yeah. There's been, uh, you could have had like a, and you have used them. Yes. Uh, a storage a storage uh, unit. Unit. Uh, I'm pretty sure they had them when we were at college age. Yeah, they probably but weren't. They probably weren't cost effective at that point. And I'd be loath to. Um, I've used them a couple times in my life. I'd be loath to put my comics on the storage unit. Yeah, because you, there's, <laughs> unless you could have one that is uh, temperature uh, controlled, temperature controlled, and moisture controlled, and all that stuff, which is yeah. probably expensive. Yeah. Oh, speaking of that, before we move on. 
Uh, no, I'll make. I'll try to comment. No, I'm gonna do it now. I'm talking about comics. Um, my local comic store guy, he told me there's something called the Promise Collection that was recently discovered. It's a really cool story. I'm gonna mention it. I don't. I'll mention the Promise Collection in the positive material plan. Go ahead. Okay. Randy and Joe, it's Andy Goodman, your favorite number one fan. <laughs> so, point of uh, point of uh, order, noisome, noisome. Where did I work? Where did I learn the word noisome? Noisome is not a British word. I mean, it's an English word. I learnt it from Gary Gygax. Gary Gygax oh. uses it at least a few times in uh, the first edition DM's guide and monster manual. Possibly. Otiuch, or however you pronounce it. Who knows? I don't know. No, not. No, I don't think it's used in those monster descriptions, but he definitely uses it a lot. And I had to, of course, look it up when I first read it because it sounds like it's something to do with noise, but it's nothing to do with noise. It's to do with smell, as you pointed out. Yes. Good word. Good word. I'll think of more words. I wonder <laughs> if it has, if since it has something to do with smell. Mm-hmm. If it, because it's noisome, which is weird, yes. it's possible that its origin is uh, have to, has to do with flatulence. Well, I just googled it real quick and it does say. And by the way, Andy, thanks for thanks for learning us something. I do appreciate that. Because uh, literary adjective having an extremely offensive smell, noisome vapors from the smoldering waste, and then also disagreeable or unpleasant. So I guess it doesn't have to be fully just smelly. But that's, right, of course, right. so quick. That's Oxford. Hey, wait a minute now. English Oxford is weird. Oxford? But he's, he said he, he didn't pick the word out. So, okay. Know, cool. You know, there is an American Oxford University. Yeah, that's true. And Gar- if Gary Gagax said it, then we probably are. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Andy. That's cool. <laughs> Now, there was me listening or about to listen to your negative material plane and getting ready to uh, shake my fist at the cloud at your intransigence. There we go. Another big word um, at your <laughs> at your in- intolerance, intolerance at your um, fecundity. No, that's wrong. Anyway. Um, uh, and here's the shock. I agreed with you about Ravenloft. I agreed with you. It should be there. It should be. You should be murdering the players in Ravenloft. That's what it's all about, isn't it? And this whole power trip, yeah, totally doesn't work. Totally doesn't work with the Ravenloft setting. Um, having said that, I did play as a player in Curse of Strahd, and I enjoyed it. But the whole idea of having a horror setting per se in a fantasy superhero game... Ah, you're right. Doesn't work. It doesn't work. It does you know not. What? Yeah, I think he's. Well, I, I had mentioned that because I'd heard him in one of his podcasts. I listened to Andy's this week. He mentioned playing of that, and I left him a message. I don't know if I got sidetracked. I, I might have been biking when I did it too. So hopefully you can understand it. But um, uh, he had mentioned playing in Curse of Strahd, and I was like, man, I wondered if he liked that. Cause I really wanted to know. Um, intransigent. I just looked his word up. Characterized by refusal to compromise. Um, or to abandon an often extreme position or attitude. Yeah, I think a lot of people can be that. 
it can be very hard once you once you commit to an idea. It takes a lot to sway not just me, but a lot of people. It should. I'm, and it probably should. You should be it very should. convinced. But yeah, that's cool. I'm, I'm glad people shouldn't just be led around by the nose. I got an idea. Oh, I'll be cool to follow that. No, no. Yeah, but I, I think our our thoughts that Ravenloft is not really for superheroes, and same for you know Professor DM that said that it's it's right. I mean, you have to be. It's, yeah, I mean, I don't think it's hard to argue that it's really not gothic horror if you do it. So yeah. right. Um, yeah, and the whole idea of fear and everything. Uh, if your character can go and beat up all the monsters without a whole lot of uh, effort, um, expense, expenditure of resources and all that, uh, how how is that dark? How is that terror? How are you? How is that, how yeah, is yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and having in with D and D as the system, horror has to be low level. One, two, three. I think how so. much more than that? I know because I've never seen a version of D and D. Where you get past third or fourth level, you can even use. It's hard to scare the characters. They start getting magic items. Forget about it. I mean, you can just throw bigger monsters at them. Yeah, but that's not real. It's but and then again, it's it's about adventure. And to me, D and D is about adventure and um, not just adventure, but like kind of heroic. You know, the hero fighting great odds and well, dangerous and horror are two different things. Yeah, danger and horror. There you go. Danger and horror are two different things. Mm-hmm. And you know this kids glove business not scaring the players. I mean the question still remains as one of you said can you even can you actually scare a player at a table? I've done a whole I'm doing a whole series of episodes now about that on on expedition to the Grizzly Peaks. <sighs> Probably not, but you want to unsettle them. I mean you want to make them feel creeped out and and threatened I do think you can act as a character who's threatened without being threatened yourself so I'm not sure I agree with you on the make the character scared I think you can play it as if you're scared and and generate this horror but but Raven woke come on guys that is just lazy that's lazy it's it should be called Raven soft yeah yeah you like it I do like Raven Soft, but Woke is soft. <laughs> I'm sorry. Woke is weak sauce, dude. Yeah. And, and I know there's a big push now to say, oh, the new Woke is the anti-Woke. No, it's not. Woke is woke. It's stupid. People are soft, making excuses for everything. But I get what Andy's saying. I like Raven Soft. That's a better sound. It flows more like Raven Loft. I do like that. Yeah. I think it's fitting, too, with the whole don't scare the players. Now, Oh, we didn't There's say. A, no, no, no. That's, that's what, what it they, says in the book. Yeah, that's what it says in the book. Yeah. You can scare the players. Yep. But to really scare them, you pre- pretty much have to be a psychopath. Or like, like the one. Uh, there's a YouTube video where the dude puts out a live tarantula on his game table and surprises everybody. Oh my. Yeah. Um, that's probably uh, deserving of a black eye or two. For some people in our group, it would. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that kind of um, actually doing something in the real world yeah. that truly scares the people at the table to where they are actually frightened, not just a shock thing, but actually right. frightened is probably abusive. So you yeah, well, don't I, even want to do that. No, but I, I think Andy's point of creeping people creeping out. Creeping people out you can do without – 
Yeah. And you can do And I've done that not meaning to. Even you, you're like, oh, my God, that's creepy. Yeah. You, know, you said that because the bad guy's doing something heinous. But I think Andy, Andy's right. I, as much as I'm still okay with the word woke, I do think Ravensoft rhymes with Ravenloft, and it's pretty spot on. Yeah, it is. It is. And to be, I think if you're going to do, I wonder if you could adapt the uh, system that we used at Cabin Con. Uh, what's that called? Zero Engine or something like that? Zero oh, Day? Oh, you're talking about um, for Year aliens? Zero. The Aliens one, yeah. I think it's Year Zero Engine. Patrick would know more. Um, I wonder if you could adapt that into a Ravenloft. Absolutely. Setting. And Use you should. Setting. Yeah, that would, would be better. Sense. Yeah, because they have, I mean, I'd want to modify, I'd, I would modify the panic rolls, uh, especially some of the results, and it would be probably best to make panic rolls that fit each adventure, uh, but even generic ones could work. I do think that could be a, that could be a really good system for, dude, especially as, especially as deadly as Aliens Combat is, I think that would be a great horror system to use in a horror game, yeah. I think. That's really that's a good idea, Joe. That's cool. Yeah, shouldn't be too hard to adapt. No, no. If it's a it's a, a generic system, right? Yeah, yeah. Shouldn't be too hard. Well, they have a couple of games use they use that engine. I think I think it's Forbidden Lands and a few others, and they're coming out with another one. So I think it's the Year Zero. Patrick will call in and correct us if we're using the wrong one. So anyway, that's cool. Thanks, Andy. And Thanks to all of our callers. Yeah, Taylor, all you guys. Awesome. Good calls. All right. So on to the positive material plane. So I want to yes. talk about this, about this promise collection. It's not in the notes, but it just came to my mind. This is a, I, wish I, remember, I hope I get the story right. Um, local comic store here in uh, my town. Yeah, I told me to look it up, sent me a link. It was really interesting. It was a story about a young man who collected comics I want to say in the 30s or 40s. You're pretty, you could even Google it right now if you wanted to, Joe. Yeah, um, the Heritage Auction. Yeah. Thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's got, but he had like, and he was going off to war, and he asked his brother to keep it for him until he got back, and if something happened to keep track of him, and so of course he died in, in World War II, and then the brother went off to another war and he died or something happened to him and he died, and his children's and there's children's children just found it and it was in a house and for some reason it was all but hermetically sealed i mean it was in perfect conditions and he had like almost i think he might have had bags in them in bags and that was it oh. and so apparently i mean i don't know how much it's worth but he had a ridiculous run of golden age comics of oh, all wow. superheroes you know the early supermans the wonder womans all these things it was you know probably worth couple million millions of dollars share a couple million bucks it says that, here five thousand golden age comics wow that's money mm. if you have a golden age comic who's like the cover is still on it it's probably worth money oh sure and there's five thousand if they wanted to sell them all no if, if you sell them all, sold them all yeah they'd be like uh wow pretty you know, I mean, whether he has Action Comics 1 or Detective Comics 27 or any of the really big ones, he's just got a handful of the issues. I mean, if you have Superman 1 through, I don't know, 150, you've got some pretty fine books. Detective Comics 140. Ooh, nice. Captain America Comics 74. Mm. 
Captain America's Weird Tales. I never even heard of that title. I don't Captain America's gone through some strange iterations, to my knowledge. Yeah. So anyway, that was that's just a cool. It's a good story too. Yeah. 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 yeah, Because uh, at this point, you think that all this stuff, uh, finding these kinds of things, yeah, everything should be found. You would think. But no. So there's no telling. There could be. I wonder if this could. There's five thousand of them. Yeah. I wonder if that's just five thousand the Golden Age comics. I wonder if that will drive the 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 prices of them down. Mm. Because there's more oh, of them. Rarity is a function of how many there are. You're talking pre World War II comics, though. Sure. A lot of those were uh, mulched during World War II, which is the real value, and that's why Action Comics they believe there's like six six complete copies of Action Comics one in existence. Right. That, that have the cover and are, are decent and readable. And then, right. or maybe it's, maybe yeah. it's near mint, but still. I get that. I get yeah. that. I'm just wondering if this isn't, if this, uh, this volume of comics from that age, finding them. I mean, at some point, if you found enough, it should drive the prices down because yeah, it would you, change you, the rarity. I agree, but you need a lot more than 5,000. Oh. I mean, just because there'd be collectors would snatch that up. I mean, they would buy all of them. I'll take every one of those at the price. Mm-hmm. Whatever, whatever they grade out to be, they they pay for. It. Now that would be a collection. I talked about once about grading out comics. Get a CGC grade, which is kind of past my. That was like a thing that happened. I didn't know about until I quit collecting. But they put them in these really hard sleeves. You've probably seen them. They're like hard plastic, and they grade them on a scale from you know zero to you know nine or ten gem mint. And uh, it costs about thirty bucks a book to do that. So that'd be a that'd be a hundred and fifty thousand dollars to grade all those books and that would be worth every penny i would literally go out and borrow the money to have them graded if i had to because mm. you would get that back with about two or three books <laughs> i mean you would make a bundle and i don't care even though what, what you're saying i'm sure the ones he listed there are probably several tens of thousand dollar books each if they're as good as shape as they talked about so yeah that's that's one of the more recent big finds but i mean i guess theoretically you're right you could find if you had enough of these finds but 5,000 books is not that many. I mean, it sounds like a lot to you. It's not a lot for a collection. I mean, I have about 8,000. Oh, so, okay. I mean, it's not. But it's but as far as valuable, I don't have it. I don't have a single book that's valuable as any of those. Guarante- I mean, I would practically, I would almost guarantee it. Well, it says here that the detectives comics that they have, detective comics that they have yeah. listed here, number 140, mm-hmm. is graded at 96 Wow. CGC pedigree grade. That is ridiculous, dude. That means it was kept in per- in a perfect temperature for all those years, pre-World War II. That is unbelievable. Same That's thing. So looks like they have an... Well, this lady looks like an early version of Wonder Woman, Could but be. she's called Phantom Lady. And That's different, yeah. And the name of the comic is Phantom Lady. Yeah. And also 9.6. Oh, man. No yeah, no one would draw this lady like this th- right now. Yeah, she really bucks him. Yeah, very yeah. feminine. Yeah, and um, the uh, oh, did you hear the news in the comics? Did you see Patrick's post? No. They're going to kill Doctor Strange. Of course they are. So that they can. So that Captain they Marvel, can. Captain Marvel is going to become uh, the next Sorcerer Supreme. Of course they are. They can't have a dude. They can't have no, a dude. I think I don't know the whole details, but yeah, that's pretty brilliant. So yeah, they can't have a dude. They can't. They cannot. Okay, this is this would be material. 
Positive, positive. Sorry. So anyway, very cool Promise Collection. And we played again. What about that? That's awesome. Two times in a week. We haven't done that in forever. A Monday and a Friday. We played more Savage Worlds. This, you guys, is pretty fun. I like the I like the adventure. It was fun. We had to push to get it done, but we did get it done. So that was cool. It was good. And then I went to a drive-in. You didn't you should have joined us. It was a fun time just being at the drive-in. It was cool. Yeah, that wasn't that was not possible. Not in the cards, but not it was fun. Cards. Yeah. Another good positive thing is it, I've uh, created an, uh, a channel for us on odyssey.com. Yes, you'd mentioned that. I better check that out. I put two, um, two. I put 10 episodes up there, the, the latest 10. Mm-hmm. It's uh, Odyssey, for those who don't know, is a, uh, it's not really a YouTube competitor. It's more of, uh, I don't know. They would probably explain it better, but it's kind. It's in the same market. They post videos and stuff. Right? It's videos, but um, it's decentralized. So it's you. When you upload, it sends the video pieces out to different servers. So um, uh, I don't know exactly how to explain it without getting too in depth, but it's decentralized. Okay. So you're not relying on a single company's server. If you have content that they would be objectionable to. Okay. So so they don't get to judge your content, whether it's okay. Uh, So, of course, since it's a public company, Mm -hmm. they do have to abide by certain laws. So there's certain types of uh, imagery that they will not accept, but it's very limited to stuff that's illegal in, in, in the U.S. Gotcha. Okay, so they're U.S. kind. That's cool. Good yeah. deal. That's nice, man. Good job, Joe. So we have oh, another spot. Another comment positively. I don't know. It's dangerous. After the downsizing, our downsizing episode. Guess what I did? You went and bought a bunch of stuff. <laughs> well, a few things. It's not a true. I spent thirteen dollars and got like five. No, twenty-five dollars, so I can get the Amazon free shipping on five RPG products. One of them being basic role playing. Uh, the other is um. What did I get? No, this is a drive-thru. I got Lion and Dragon RPG print. Oh, okay. Have um, you gotten uh, it yet? Nope. It's going to be three to four weeks. But I ordered it on because drive-thru takes a while. Yeah. And I ordered some things because, you know, they're going to be increasing their printing costs here soon. So I bought a couple of things. And I bought a few little, like, an adventure module, basic fantasy role-playing, basically first edition BX type stuff. And it just came in today. And so, anyways, pretty cool. A lot of OSR stuff on my on my list. So good deal. So is that Line and Dragon? Is that a print on demand thing? Yes, that's where I purchased it from. Yeah, so we'll check that out. It sounded pretty good. Had a lot of other stuff. I was like one thing, and I looked trying to. Buy, I mentioned a few podcasts ago. I was going to try to buy his some, one of his products, which I did, and then one Avenger Satanus's. But Avenger, I've seen some some of his videos and stuff. He seems fine, but I just his stuff is too sexed, man. It's too sexed up. Everything is about extreme gore or extreme kind of. It looks I don't know too extreme for me. So I'm not sure I can buy anything from Avenger. I don't, and I wish him well, but it just doesn't sound like my cup of tea. Who knows? Maybe one day I'll get to see it at a con somewhere and flip through it. It won't be as bad as I think it is, but it strikes me as odd. And he's mean from the cover, the cover, some of the comments, the way he describes it just doesn't sound. And he's big into weird, weird fantasy. Right. Right. Like uh, heavy metal. 
yeah, heavy metal, 70s stuff, which is fine. I mean, he sounds like a, he actually sounds like he'd be a fun D- GM, but I just don't want to. I don't know. It just kind of messes with my sensibilities. I'm not. I'm not down with it. All right. And, but other than that, it was. I mean, I think it's. You know, I think the pundits a little bit more. But I think he has some too that's a little bit blue. But I didn't. I don't know. I got Lion and Dragon sounding good. So yeah. Yeah. Everything you can't expect to like everything, and oh, no, no, and, no. and nobody should expect everybody to like their stuff. No. Some people, I don't think either of those guys do. But no. who knows. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I would like Avenger stuff or not. It's just the way I read it on draft. Though, I was kind of like, eh. I read it. I did my due diligence. Looked good. I said, nah, I can't do it. At least not right now. So okay. we'll see. That's cool. Oh yeah, I got, I got a lot of good good news. Uh, Jason Nerds Variety mentioned something called it's called a goat's worth of grotesques, which is the Baroque bestiary. And this guy made it, and it was really cool sounding what Jason said. So I'm going to pick up the PDF. It's really cheap. It's like four bucks for a 250 page monster book. And the way it's set up, it gives some he gives some way you might do statistics, like vague statistics for a D&D style game. But it's really pretty cool. I mean, the art's kind of, I don't know, kind of old, looks very medieval. And he does a, he even likes to describe like a wolf. And the way he describes a wolf, he gives it a, an air of mystery and legend, like some legends of like actual just regular wolves. And I thought, you know what? For four bucks, yeah, I'll pick it up. The art might be public domain. That might be he, he it did. looks like that. But it looked kind of cool. I liked it. Yeah. It was kind Is of it that, I think I heard of this. Is it just, it's just basically the fluff. Yeah, and it's called a groat's worth of grotesque. And I really, I haven't, I haven't uh, purchased it yet. In fact, before we got on here, I was, I'll put it in my little basket there on drive-through. But I'm thinking I'm going to because I mean, Jason made it sound good, so I'm gonna get. He said it was good reading. So all right, yeah, yeah. May have to look into that too. Yeah, fun stuff. So all right. Alrighty. So moving to the main topic. We shall. Let's do it. Yeah. So today we're going to jump into a hopefully a series we're going to mess around with. A lot of podcasts have done this, and we're going to try this a similar approach, but we'll see if we can add a little new spin to it. We're going to do something called class and role, and we're going to talk about um, different classes, mainly focused on D and D. We might be able to you know branch out a little to more generally, but t- this first um, class and role episode is going to be on the divine and divine analysis. So we're studying essentially the healer or the cleric. And it's going to be a recurring topic we hit from time to time. I'm sure we'll do the warrior and we'll do the mage and we'll do the rogue and maybe some others. I was thinking the gish might come along too. a gish would be a good discussion. Um, so a healer in this in a divine sense is only most RPGs that are fantasy. The healer guy is sort of the holy guy, right? He's a healer is a generally tasked with restoring health, removing poison like effects, reviving, reviving. Reviving. Thank you. Cannot read today. Fallen party members in different games may include different mechanics, such as the ability to deal damage or to enhance the attributes of their allies. And I want to focus, of course, mainly on D&D first. And somewhere along the line, we'll mention others. And we're going to, Joe and I are going to kind of go through the different editions. And I took all the versions of the books that I had. I have, um, I use my PDF for the original D&D, uh, the white box. And then I used my rules encyclopedia, encyclopedia for Beck Me, and then all the editions of D&D I went through and highlighted what the cleric did in some of the descriptions. So, anyway, how do you like that definition in general, before we jump into D&D, for a healer type? Right, it's good. Uh, it's okay. One thing I'll add, though, is mm-hmm. I know through the years there's been kind of a debate 
mm-hmm. about whether uh, heal the healer role should be precisely only divine, right? Uh, and many games spread it out, right? I know, uh, and I still feel this way. I think magic is magic. Um, mm-hmm. So if there if if you're using magic to heal, then I'm I'm not sure precisely. I understand you keep. Um, I understand from the point of view of uh, you have classes have their roles and yep. you and uh, you have your cleric be your healer and your gen general holy person um, that's one role and yep. the wizard is more general arcane right and that way you you can have a team of people and then rely on uh, a teamwork to solve your problems right so and we'll get to, we'll get to that I, I was pretty sure it sounds like going on a path I know you've got some pretty, I don't say strong, yeah, probably some strong opinions on this, which are, which are interesting. We probably align pretty well. Uh, yeah. Let's focus, let's focus first of all, because I think I got us off the beaten path there. So back on the D&D cleric, right? The D&D cleric as, as a, as a sample healer. That's what most people mm-hmm. know as a healer, right? And through the additions and I'll, we'll bounce back and forth. I'll do, how about I do the evens and you do the odds. Does that sound good? Well, how are we going to do the zero? Uh, well, zero's even. Zero. Is, I didn't know zero was even. As well by two, it's even. Yep. Okay. Um, Te- yeah. I guess technically one of those weirdo math things. Yeah, it has to be. It has to. Be, mm-hmm. um, no well, remainder. Well, you could argue. Yeah. Well, we could just it. Must not. Depends how you want to define it. it we'll, we'll start with zero. So uh, basically, the description I thought was fascinating it was done in one paragraph. Mm-hmm. This is the original booklet, Men and Magic, the first booklet for original Dungeons and Dragons White Box. Um, it, they fight similar to the Finding Man. They have some spells like the Magic User. They mentioned there's no edge weapons. That's pretty consistent throughout. They get some bonus experience. And this this changed later on, but just in general, it changed. And you turn with rolling 2d6, d6 hit dice like everybody else. Uh, technically no max level, but there was max hit points. So the cleric could get at most a cap of seven hit dice, and it was like plus two every level after that. And they got no spells until second level. And I said, no, race is class. The reason I said that is because there were no elven clerics. Or dwarven. No dwarven clerics, no halfling clerics. All clerics were human. That actually gets pointed out later on. But in OD&D, I thought it was fascinating. He got one paragraph, and really not much was said other than that, that his job was to do a little bit of – and you didn't get that till you read the spell list. But he didn't even say he was kind of the healer, <laughs> which is kind of funny. Well, oh. there may be um, built-in assumptions. Oh, that that was the biggest thing I thought. That from what I've read, I've read the whole white box. I don't have it. I have the PDF of it. I think it was almost like Gygax and Arneson. Not almost. It was. From the history, they made this game essentially for their friends. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean they thought everybody that already had wargaming experience and played Chainmail would knew all that they're talking about. I mentioned before, when it came to the elf, they said, look at Chainmail. That was the elf entry. If you really, <laughs> really don't want to play a human, you know, you got, guy guys, if you got to be a real weirdo, that's that wasn't God X's word, but that was kind of the implication. You can play an elf. And so um, that's all they said. So then the cleric gets a big upgrade and beck me. You want to take that one? Uh, six hit, uh, D6 hit dice up to ninth level. Mm-hmm. Uh, at 10th level, uh, plus one per level after that mm-hmm. from there on. Person dedicated to great or worthy cause may serve a deity or deities or his own alignment. Yeah, it's it's weird serving your that's alignment. Weird. 
They could serve. You could serve an alignment. That was weird. Yeah. No edged or pointy weapons. Uh, bonus XP for 13 or higher wisdom. D&D doesn't deal with ethical or theological beliefs. They said that. Of a PC. No. Uh, that you have a star next to. Uh, anyway, if mm-hmm. act inconsistent with alignment, punished by or um, punished by order, the order of clerics that you are belong. This to. is this is kind of my summary notes. Would it do better if I hit them? No, I got it. I got it. okay. Yeah. It, or um, or higher power DM uh, DM say uh, mm-hmm. no spells until level two. Spells come from the strength of clerics' beliefs. May uh, turn undead, but not attack in the same round. PC rolls two d six to determine if success by table. Uh, the DM rolls two d six for total hit dice. At least one. You get at least one. Yep. When you turn, mm-hmm. uh, and once you reach ninth level, a neutral cleric can become a druid, <laughs> landowner cleric, uh, and traveling cleric. Yep. Cleric limited uh, political influence. Uh, cleric described. Uh, you got a bracket there, domain discussion. Note also racist class, because in Beckman you have the same thing. Yeah. Racist <laughs> class, only humans can be clerics. Yeah, so my asterisk there, Joe, was notice they said in one sentence, D&D doesn't deal with ethical or theological beliefs. This is me being probably a little pedantic of a PC, but spells come from the strength of a cleric's beliefs. Yeah, how does he... Not from the deity, which is cool, but they mentioned beliefs, but they said we don't deal with PC beliefs. Well... <laughs> It's in the background. Yeah. I think the idea was we don't want to deal with Christianity, Islam, Judaism. We don't have those kind of – I think that was the thing they were afraid of. We don't want to have a – you know, a lot of people say, even today, if you want to cause trouble, talk religion or talk politics. Right. So I'm sure they're like, we don't want trouble. We're playing a game. Beliefs are beliefs. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about what they are. And every cleric belonged to an order. Mm-hmm. That was in the rules. You actually belonged to an order. And when you got to the right level, you could either build a – church temple stronghold or became a traveling cleric and there was even rules for like well if you decide to be a traveler for a while then you decide to go back and be a landowner you can do that as a cleric but the dm needs to make sure you're not cheeseballing things and it was really fascinating to read some of the i think there was some really good advice in there things that that kind of wet my whistle for old school when we had an episode on domains you know characters building domains and that's kind of been left by the wayside in modern Mm -hmm. game yep yep um because i don't know i don't know why there's a because it just is and it may be uh that a lot of players don't care and that's kind of bled into the development of the game so the game has gone in that direction it could be who knows my, my uh, thought is, I think, here's what I think it is, and this is, I'm not trying to be a fuddy-duddy, but I think um, video games, you only play one person in, now for a while they had, you could run some adventures where you played a group, but you're pretty much playing one main dude, mm-hmm. and I think, you know, well, people like to play one dude, and D&D is kind of a one dude playing thing, and we want to get more and more powerful and get more gear, you know, maybe we don't want to mess with this stuff, or maybe it's just hard to write rules for that stuff. Because players being as creative as they are, it's hard unless if you put them in a really tight box, you can only spend your money this way. You can only this thing with the gold and cost this much money. And then players are like, you know, I got to do all that rigmarole. And even the DM, I'm like, can't we just like roll a couple of dice, multiply by a thousand, so that's how much it costs? <laughs> you know, <laughs> so kind of. It might be they dropped it from having specific rules, and mm-hmm. if a table wants to do it in the modern game. 
they do it their own way. In the early editions, especially original D&D, they came from wargaming. They, and, and you, you know, you love this. They love low level. And I remember one of them saying, somebody, I think it was Secrets of Blackmore, they just couldn't fathom. Why would someone want to play someone higher than 7th or 8th level? Yeah. Because they described you as a superhero already, mm-hmm. which is true because their version of fantasy was much lower. It wasn't yeah. like, it was closer to Lord of the Rings, nowhere near like super D&D-ness, you know? Right. So, anything strike you? Either yeah. The original or Rebecca me that kind of right. you it, Just from my memory, when we talk about turning, Yes. Okay, so uh, we played recently um, an old school game at Cabin Con, and looking at the turning rules, Mm -hmm. because we had a cleric in the party, Yep. when you look at the turning table, it's very generous. I thought so, too, but I think I know why. What do they expect? To me, the expectation is you run into bunches of undead. Yep. That's one. You would have to for it to and be. And what worse. was the most, especially in Beckney and beyond, what was the most fearsome thing about undead? The higher level undead. Slightly oh, higher. energy drain. Energy drain was, because, dude, that's costly. You lose XP. And um, in some of the rules, though, I want to say it was 1E. We'll find out shortly. I think I noted this. They did say you would lose levels within 24 hours. But, so you have 24 hours to go get a restoration cast and get your level back before you was permanent. But I think maybe back then it was because it was so deadly. They really wanted the clerics to um, be able to handle that. Though it was very vague in both those editions. I don't recall if they told me how many times in a day. I don't think there was any limit. I think every round you could try to turn, which was pretty. Yeah, I don't remember there being a limit. It came along later on. Anything else strike you as interesting or odd or? Yeah, I want to. The only thing that strikes me is no edged weapons. I know that was true. Yep, that was consistent. Both editions there. Both of those. But I'm wondering how consistent that became later. Oh, it changed. Because I'm pretty sure I remember the idea no edged weapons. And you're like, that's weird. They can't even use a dagger. Well, there was a comment. I want to say. I read it online, and it was about Gygax reading some, some. I think it was a website. I wish I had had saved it. Had read some story about a priest, and it was you know like a, a fantasy story, and he talked about what was the biblical quote: "Live by the sword, die by the sword." And so a cleric lives by the mace. <laughs> that was the idea. That cleric. That cleric was like. You shouldn't live by a sword. Shouldn't try to. And clear. In one of the statements, I forget which version of the division, which edition of the game they mentioned, but the clerics were. One of the things was they tried not to do violent stuff. They didn't. They kind of abhorred violence. I might have had that written down in there somewhere. So, oh, it is. It's in two uh, e actually. But let me. Uh, shall we move to one e or? Yeah. What do you, okay. The one E, this is not, I wrote here, it's like Beckney, but here's some exceptions. Now, the minimum wisdom becomes nine, 13 for a multi-class cleric. What do you think of that? And this is in one E. I never and, understood that. I think no, it's just uh, a control thing. It's, uh, you know, yeah. to control who, how many multi-class characters you had running around. Oh, and uh, boy, they want, but multi-class was pretty boss in first level. Or did you, could you, you could do that as an elf, right? Couldn't you be a fighter magic user right, right off the gate? Yeah, but you have yeah. level limits, which if you yeah. kept the game low, that's irrelevant. 
It is. Yeah, that's that, and that's one of the problems in old school. If you keep games low level, multi-classes become a lot of more powerful. Now, you get the bonus experience points again, but not until like 5 or 10%, but not until you get a 15 or higher wisdom. And then they make a suggestion they didn't make before. Strength and con are also good for clerics. Mm-hmm. And it says, and this is the, de- the description of 1A of a cleric, resembles religious orders of medieval knights. That's how they describe them. So almost paladin-esque. Uh, D8 hit dice, so there's a bump. Max 9, 10th level, plus 2 per level. So 9 hit dice, most you could have, then plus 2 per level. Uh, dedicated to deities or deity. Skilled combatant, and this is a phrase that comes up again and again or some version of it. Clerics are there to fortify, protect, and heal their allies and companions. That's their job. Um, true neutral was not allowed for a cleric. A cleric cannot be true neutral in first edition. If you were true neutral, you were a druid. Oh, that's right. Turning undead, and this is a, now this is an important thing here. The first time they said this, you must present your holy symbol. Positioning was mentioned. You have, remember, I used to always use the phrase, "You must present yourself boldly." Mm-hmm. That's the way I phrased it, and mm-hmm. that's mostly where I got it from. Uh, P, now the PCs would roll a d20 instead of two d6, and the DM would roll a d12. And you could even turn a D2 minor demons and devils. That was really not explained well in the first edition player's handbook. It didn't tell me what demons or devils. It just said the phrase minor. So I don't, you know, it's probably up to the DM at higher levels. No level limit for human clerics. Only humans can be single classed clerics. So an elf could not be an elf cleric alone. At ninth level, they got a stronghold. And here was the big boom, half price. So if your church cost you 80,000 gold to build, you could build it for 40 because you got a lot of free help from, you know, parishioners and followers. You did get spells at level one. Uh, evil clerics was mentioned. They could turn good aligned beings in paladins. Good aligned beings wasn't clear if that was meant to be even other player characters. I would say probably not. I'm sure they were talking things like angels and various, you know, supernatural <laughs> the creature called a she-do is kind of a and they were lawful good and they help people, but maybe those sorts of things. Right. Now, you have said before, you liked 1E better than 2E, correct? Well, from the point of view of, um, I think my one complaint from 2E is damage caps on spells. Yeah. I thought that was unnecessary. More screwage for the wizard. Yeah. Especially, so- especially if your expectation is not to play over 7th level. A rule such as that makes no sense. Anyway, that doesn't have anything much to do with clerics. They didn't have right. a lot of damaging spells. No, they did not. And notice that clerics, and again, they mentioned the stronghold idea, which is true for not just clerics. That was for every class had a stronghold or a guild or a tower. Wizard tower was common. Um, I thought the turning of paladins was interesting. Just yeah, that is. And speaking of paladins, my this is where I first noticed, uh, not when we've not maybe when we were first playing it, mm-hmm. but it didn't take long to see, for me, the similarity in the description of a cleric and a paladin. Yes. They are. They have a similar description. They use a lot of the same words. They're, they use synonyms, yep. but it's essentially the same thing. A paladin is a holy knight. Yep. A cleric is a holy knight. <laughs> yep. What's the difference? Yeah. Pick one. Yeah. yeah. So they had a hit dice bump, which was good. I thought the fortify, protect, and heal to describe their general job was uh, pretty good. That will repeat itself in at least, I think, second edition's own variant. Um, I noticed the big points was the, the dice changed. They started using D20 more. 
and the, and you turn a D12 instead of 2D6. I wonder if that was just because, you know, we have a D12. Why don't we use it? I heard that was kind of, I heard Maybe. some rules. I heard that was the case. Gagax made some rules just so you had to use the D12. So. That's weak. <laughs> it funny. is. It I is. Don't, I don't disagree, but it's funny. Uh, 1E, yeah. So the clerks looked pretty cool in 1E. I mean, that was kind of neat. So you want to yeah. try a second? Yeah. Uh, 2E. You need me to clarify? Clerks, warrior mm-hmm. priest, wizard, rogue. Within yep. priest is cleric, like 1E, but. Okay. Mm-hmm. So in second edition, uh, I'm not. I don't understand why you did that beginning part. Okay, let me let me clarify. What I'm saying is, in second edition, to clarify, I had forgotten this. There were class groups. There was the warrior group underneath, which was um, the, the was the fighter, the paladin, and the ranger. There was the priest, which underneath the priest was the cleric and the druid. And then the wizard was the illusionist, and the and I think the mage. They called him the mage in second edition. And under the rogue was the assassin and the thief. I don't remember the mage. Yep. Mage is what they call the wizard. Wizard was the broad category. Mage was the specific class. That's weird. Yep, that's how they did it. Yep. Okay, so uh, within priest is cleric. No, it's like 1E, except yep. charisma and con are good instead of strength, strength. and con because, right. yeah, some changes there. Sturdy soldiers are looking to shed blood using only blunt weapons, which is weird because... You can draw blood with a blunt weapon. You most definitely can. <laughs> Spells are the main tool of the cleric, helping him to serve, protect, and revitalize those under his care. Yep. Spheres of influence became something in second edition. Uh, major access all to all but but animal, plant, weather, and elemental, because those were for the druid. Uh, minor, max level third. So, elemental. Yeah, I said third level spells. They got access to elemental minorly. Yeah. So they had protection from elements. Right. That was yeah. Right. Receive spells as insight from Deity himself. Ninth level official permission to build stronghold. Again, half price, but without church sanction if done before ninth level. So in other words, you didn't get the half price deal if, the, if, the, if you did before ninth level and the church didn't sanction you to do ah. it. Especially priests, uh, which came a little later, didn't they? Well, they're actually in the core book. Okay. They only gave you a few ideas. They got expanded on the Forgotten Realms. You got tons of them. Tons. They, had a, they had a handful in the rules, and they just didn't they have. Did they have three books on that that they had? Yes, and I had, and they were, you know, they were actually pretty cool. Yeah, they were. A lot of stuff. Uh, especially priests have extra requirements such as wisdom nine and strength con thirteen for battle god is given all spheres of influence are deity based and granted powers and druid is a specialty priest of nature yep uh for turning undead you roll a d20 for the pc um dm you roll 2d6 for the number of undead oh okay roll 2d6 for the number of dead forcing a free willed undead closer than 10 feet breaks the turn the first time they ever mentioned breaking the turn right then second so so free will done dead. So what you're saying here, if you force them closer than ten feet, right. so are you talking about to, to a bear? If they're your oh if yeah, you, that you breaks the holy symbol, you turn the vampire, but you push him into a corner. Once you get inside ten feet, he, it breaks the turning attempt. Right, right, okay. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought you meant. Evil clerics turn paladins at 
uh, minus three levels. Mm-hmm. So couldn't even begin to do it till they were fourth. I remember that. Right. A lot of that. A lot of that. I liked. I, I always liked the spe- the specialty priest. Even they were they were definitely. I mean, the cleric was already, in my opinion, pretty OP as a class. Right. A person that would be willing. We'll talk about who's willing to play, but especially the priests took them over the top. There were some oh, specialty sure. priests, especially with, with the Forgotten Realm booklets we talked about, like faiths and avatars. I remember we had uh, my cousin Ryan played a priest of Tempest, and he got just some of the best abilities right out the game. We're like, what the crap? It was yeah. unbelievable. So, yeah. Yeah, I think that they, maybe someone. Uh, other than me, notice that the paladin and cleric were described very similarly. Mm-hmm. So maybe they decided to change things up a bit in their description and uh, make them uh, more focused on their spells. Because, and uh, one thing that isn't noted, I don't think, is that at one point, clerics only had spells at the seventh level. Yes, I didn't now, know. That's true. I, did that. That didn't change until third edition, though, Correct. right? Correct. That's true. Yep. That was true in first and second. And I think um, maybe fifth was the highest at some point. That might have been everybody only had up to fifth level spells. Some of the editions of the game only had fifth and sixth. I think it was, oh, oh original oh, D&D had fifth yeah. or sixth level spells. I, I did thought it was interesting to note that they changed their suggestions for secondary stats, charisma and con instead of strength and con. And notice they did mention that their, their sturdy soldiers were reluctant to shed blood, even though you mentioned that, yeah, that's not the case. And they used serve, protect, and revitalize rather than fortify, protect, and heal. Right. So, that was interesting. Right. Um, it's kind of a weird uh, a weird thing to expect an adventuring priest. Unless you play your cleric such that you don't attack like humans but you're only attacking monsters and you don't have a whole big problem with shedding monster blood, but maybe you don't, maybe you just refrain from attacking humans and you will, you know, do other things if you're faced with brigands and whatnot, but it's kind of weird. Yeah. We'll talk more about that. The cleric is kind of a, yeah, it's an odd duck. Yeah. I was about third edition. I'm going to do three E and I'm going to let you do, Three, five, and Pathfinder. Okay. Yeah, they're, they're small. And then maybe I'll take fourth. I won't say much about fourth because, as I said, we played very little. Yeah. So, 3E was a major shift, a major change in rules, big differences, but D8 hit dice and no limit now. 20th level plus con. So, every level plus con all the way through. They had some spell casting target numbers changed, 10 plus a spell level. Again, they suggested charisma and con. Knowledge religion is an intelligence based proficiency. I understand that, but I always thought it was pretty stupid that a wizard could actually know more about a religion than an, than an actual cleric. I mean, he could literally know more about the cleric's own religion than the cleric. Right, especially... And he, and he could the, be an atheist. He could be an atheist wizard. The idea <laughs> of the dump stat is introduced, as far as I know, in third edition because of the way you build your characters. I don't remember us talking like that. Not as much, though. We talked a little bit about charisma, and if you weren't a paladin, who cares? Right. Because people, you you would put your worst score in charisma because you didn't care, and you can't. And uh, 
I know that in oh original D&D, they talked about, or was it back me one of them, they talked about that a cleric couldn't mess with his wisdom score, who was his prime, but he could change some others and bump his wisdom up, give three and one, take two or three from one stat and add one to his wisdom. So there was some of that exchanging and some possibility of dump statting even early on. But the phrase dump stat became significant in three. Right. Right. Yeah. That whole, I think the, while I initially liked the proficiency stuff that was introduced in uh, third edition, eventually it became kind of silly. Well, especially when they said, well, proficiency with, they gave clerics, Proficiencies with simple weapons, armor, and shields. Simple weapons actually opened a lot of things up. Sure. The clerics with certain domains, I remember like the clerics of Coralon Lorethian and Elven God would get the longsword. Yeah. Which I remember thinking, whoa, that is so powerful. It's not really. And they did it in the domains too. They did it back in the second edition. Yeah. Um, they, alignment wise, they had to be within one step of their deity now. And they could not be neutral unless their deity was neutral. For third edition right. they prepare and cast spells but also they got two domain spells uh per level sort of as a free prep so if they pick the domain of knowledge they might get read magic and something else for free it was always prepared for them they got granted powers not too different from specialty priests um wisdom actually added to spells per day a lot of this is just the mechanical changes uh spot this is the new thing this is something i thought was really good people used to complain in second you know i, I got to memorize all these heal spells i can't cure spells i can't memorize some of the cooler spells even neutralized poison i need to have healing now you could spontaneously a good cleric or a neutral cleric who worshiped a good deity could spontaneously turn any of his spells into a cure version. So if you were a second level cure spell, you could do cure serious wounds instead of whole person if you needed it. So it gave you a lot more flexibility. Um, similarly, evils could, now it was weird. I never understood why evil clerics would still, I guess because they're evil, they get to inflict damage, but wouldn't they want to heal their allies anyway? That would yeah, seem it's to a be weird. Odd. It's a kind of a weird rule, mm -hmm. but I think it's because uh, they're the good deities uh, channeled positive energy. Yep. And then the evil deeds channel negative energy. But yeah. if that's the case, perhaps evil clerics who get negative energy shouldn't even get healing spells because they're all positive. True. And I think there was some talk early on in the, in the game about can, well, I think why used to do it at the table, can good clerics even cast inflict wounds? Right, right. I mean, but I think they should be able to. But I mean, I, I understand if you're going to get that picky. Uh, but then that means evil clerics can't heal anybody, which is kind of weird. Uh, they finally put a maximum of turns per day. They actually talked about it. Right. Uh, number of turns per day. Now, that was based on your charisma modifier plus three. Your turn check was a D20 plus charisma. That determined your highest level of undead. It was based upon the cleric's level. So you make a turn check. Say you roll a 15, you might get to do your level plus two. If you roll a, if you roll an eight, you got to do your level minus three. And it was between minus four and plus four. So basically, it was based on the creature's head dice. Um the damage, they called it turning damage. It was no damage at all. It was 2d6 plus clear kit dice uh, plus charisma. Basically, it, it determined the number of uh, hit dice of the undead you could affect. Pathfinder re-changes that completely. Um, anything within 60 feet, the duration was 10 rounds. You could attack turned creatures at range. If you got closer than 10 feet, you could break it. If you did melee, you could break it. Um, they would cower and give you bonuses to attack. Evil clerics could command and bolster undead. Neutrals could do what's called rebuke, which is basically make them cower. Uh, they got level one spells. 
They could get multiple attacks. Uh, I wrote their 20th level base attack bonus was plus 15, plus 10, plus 5. So every 20th level cleric had that as a basis. And of course, feats and other things, action types, all that modified. You know, third edition was all about minutia, making changing this plus one, this minus two, and this plus four. And next thing you know, you got Codzilla is what they called him, right? Right. Cleric of Doom. Clerics right. were clerics were pretty boss. Right. Right. And it, uh if you if you got to a certain level, you got a few spells running. Oh dude. What, oh, was holy Trinity? The Holy Trinity. We used to refer to it in third edition as the Holy Trinity. Then we get divine power. Righteous might. Righteous might. And then there's another one that gave them bonuses. Turn their base attack into fighter base attacks. Divine Second level spell. So it's three spells. And the cleric was sit down fighter, sit down everybody. I'm about to roll in here with the biggest attack bonus, the biggest damage, and I'm gonna murder something for about nine, ten rounds. Right. And it never became useless. As you got higher levels, it was great. And you could get it off even faster if you had a if you're fifth level higher party, you had your wizard cast uh haste on you. Yep. And you could cast two spells. Yep. And then the next round, you had your other spell up. Oh, remember we talked about the deadly combo, right? At high level, haste harm. Haste harm. Dude. So a cleric could literally, in one turn, be as hasted. Or say, yeah, let's say he had a, yeah, he, so he gets the cleric, the wizard hastes everybody or haste him. He rolls up to the dragon, moves up. He casts harm, and which is one him. action, and hits the cleric and hits the dragon. It's a touch attack, almost guaranteed. And then smackety, smackety. D4 hit points left, dragon dead. Yeah. No matter how many hit points a dragon had. Right. That was pretty broken. Yeah. It I was. Remember, yeah. And then 3-5, the cleric got even worse. There weren't tons of changes, but yeah. I'll let Joe you know, chat about 3-5 and Pathfinder. I put Pathfinder in here because it's just, it's basically 3-7-5. Yeah. I'm going to talk about those two. I'm going to mm-hmm. read the notes, and then we can talk about it as a piece. Because 3rd sure. edition, 3-5, and Pathfinder, 1-E, are all of a piece. They're all a piece. So 3.5 is modified 3E, which is like it, but some skills changed, spell descriptions changed, cleric changed, but the cleric itself changed very little. They A lot of 3.5 changes were like, well, since we're going to make a 3.5, we're just going to make some modifications to lots of spells. Right. <laughs> it didn't, okay, the way, I think the way 3.5 impacted the cleric was, um, Haste got changed so that yep. it doesn't it didn't let you cast more than one spell in a round. Right. So haste harm was out. Yeah. Um, well, the, you had you know that wasn't out because the 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 um, the the wizard still could, had to cast it. The cleric wasn't casting it on himself. Weren't there domain spells though that you could do that with? Couldn't you get you haste? might you might there, there might have been a domain spells the domain spells yeah right so that you might cheat, there might have been a, there mm-hmm. might have been a couple of clear uh, domains where that they got screwed out of that right but um, and then Pathfinder is like three five but channel energy uh, instead of turning uh, number of times per day is three plus charisma modifier it's a three thirty foot burst doing positive or negative energy damage, depending on the alignment of the cleric. Mm-hmm. Um, it's D6 plus a D6 for two levels. Passed first. There's a will save for half damage, um, which is 10 plus half cleric level plus charisma modifier. Added 
uh, uh, clerical horizons, which zero level uh, spells for clerics. Basically cantrips. Cantrips. Uh, as much as you want, up to a maximum of eight different ones per day by the spell table, depending on what yep. your level is. Yep. But yeah, so some, uh, I think the channel energy was a pretty significant change. Yep. <clears throat> we played the beta version of that. Do you remember, do you remember that? But you can heal, heal and, and uh, harm at the same time. They fixed that. That was like, so a good cleric could channel. So you're fighting a bunch of undead and the cleric just steps up in a 30 foot burst and, and channels all the characters heal all the undead take damage at the same time. They changed that. Yeah. <laughs> I still don't think that's a huge problem because it's, it's a, it's a um, edge case because they could, if, if you're not fighting undead, it's not a big deal. Right. But I get it. I get it. So, yeah. Um, I like the fact that you don't turn undead anymore. I like the damage part of it because I really don't like the turn undead mechanic because it makes Monty Cook said this, the turning undead mechanic from first and second edition turns an encounter into a non encounter. Uh, unless you have hordes of undead, just hordes. Yeah. Because yeah. you, or it didn't take too many levels before the cleric was turning all kinds of stuff. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you eventually turn in liches with a 12. Or I think you get, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, vampire mm-hmm. at seventh level, I think. If I, I think you could correctly. get to where I'm trying to remember, but in first edition, I think you could get a T on a specter. That was the most powerful thing. The T being automatic. automatic. And you could not destroy vampires or turn off. I think a four was a vampire, and I think a seven was a lich at like 19th level. And granted, that's crazy high level, but still, I mean. <laughs> A lich? I don't know. I, I I just don't like turning. I mean, I understand it, but I don't really like it because I don't like it. I don't know. I just, well. If, if it was some kind of a will contest between yeah. the vampire and the PC, that'd be one thing. Yeah. But it's not that. It's just a straight roll against a, a table that makes, uh, if you have a cleric in the party, undead or kind of, who cares? Yeah, mid-level. You get a ninth, 10th level, even 6th, 7th level cleric. Like undead, you have a chance to turn a lich. A lich could be an 18th. So it could be an 18th level magic user lich. And you'd be like, be gone. We're 6th level. Whatever. Get out of here. Hold a 15. You're gone. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. I never liked that part of it. Right, right. So That makes sense. But 3rd edition was a big power up. Yes. Well, a change. I mean, a second edition was a power, a definite power up from third, from first, yes. with the domains and the domain mm-hmm. clerics. Once they yep. those books were out, because um, they were clearly domains that were better than others too. Oh yeah, very much so. Um, and then in third edition, it changed again. Uh, so the domains were kind of still there, but then but they were presented differently, and. Uh, I think that um, I'm not sure. I think they remained on par. I don't know if it was a, necessarily a power up for the cleric in particular. I mean, third edition was a power up in general yeah. for everybody, but I don't know if in particular the cleric got more powerful beyond this, the game. I'll change. make a shout out to one of our boys, Philip. Mm-hmm. He used to cheese ball the cleric and he would disagree probably, maybe not. He would, he took, there were some words in, I know in Pathfinder, you didn't have to worship a deity. You could just pick two domains, I believe. 
and then that was I think that was codified in Pathfinder. It was talked about a lot in Third Three Five, and he would just because you could you could cherry pick the ideal domains, and then you build some faith or belief system around them, which doesn't sound bad, but there's certain spells and powers that made crazy combos, you know. So you know, and I always preferred I always and I would you know I would always prefer that you would have to pick a deity and whatever the deities domains are you get or if i create deities and give them domains you got to have those you don't get to pick your own um that's just a little that's a little too good it was yeah, too, easy so. to too easy to cheese it. i mean the clerics are already tough as it is already super tough yeah right right good hit points good fighting good and three they got good spells too their spells were better i mean we talked about holy the holy trinity i mean that alone you couldn't pull that crap off in first and second edition D D. right but there's still you had a it wasn't the cleric wasn't chosen a lot. No, and that's interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll talk about that a little, little bit later on, too, but for sure. Yeah, the, why wasn't the cleric chosen? That's interesting. Right. Okay, you mean to take fourth edition? Yeah. Okay, so this is nothing like any of the editions before, and I'm not pooping on it, though I don't care for it. Um, I like the cleric was considered a divine leader, battle leaders who are invested with divine power. They blast foes with magical prayers, bolster and heal companions and lead the way to victory with the Mace in one hand and a Holy symbol in the other. Got that from the D and D 40 wiki. And that sounds good. Um, they had, of course, in this game now, every class had at will encounter and daily powers. It's a total rewrite of the rules. So some of this stuff doesn't really compare. I don't think any of it, I don't think it compares well to old D and D. No. Third edition. Uh, weapon proficiencies, simple melee, simple range. Um, implement proficiency, holy symbol, hit points. They started with 12 plus their con score. Mm hmm. That must be a 14 con. That's 26 hit points at first level, plus five each additional level after. And that's simplified. They had seven plus their con modifier and surges. And Turn Undead was not too far from the Pathfinder idea of channeling divine power. One, one effect was a Turn Undead. There were other effects, too, that you could do, um, doing more hit points damage. Again, I don't have a lot to say about 4th edition, but the whole the whole system itself was very different. They did have a nice description of the cleric, and I think all the classes would probably sound in, like, paragraph form. Their roles were the same idea. But uh, people could actually heal on their own without the cleric, I believe. But I think maybe in fourth edition, the, the cleric helped them activate their healing surges. Those out there who played for he could explain it a little bit more to us. Right. Because uh, we, was Joe played, did you play it all? Did you ever play a session of fourth no. edition? Okay, I played a few, but I don't remember how the cleric worked exactly. Right. Do you want to tackle your new favorite edition? Yes, fifth edition. My <laughs> favorite. <laughs> A conduit for divine power and reliance on devotion and intuitive sense of their deity's wishes. Must be nice. That's yeah. <laughs> uh, spellcasting is uh, DC. Spellcasting DC eight plus yes. proficiency bonus plus wisdom modifier. Uh, spell attack modifier equals proficiency bonus plus wisdom modifier. Prefer a number of spells equal to cleric level plus wisdom modifier. That's Holy total spell. number. That's total, total number. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Holy symbol is a spellcasting focus. They are a ritual caster. Um, change the list of pre uh, prepared spells after a long rest and domain bonus spells prepared and granted powers based on level. They get cantrips and two spells at level one. So pause. The clerics went from no spells at level one uh -huh. to two now over the additions. Right. Plus cantrips. 
What? Plus cantrips. And cantrips in 5th edition are no weenie spells. Yeah, Sacred Flame is pretty boss. Yeah. At level 1. Uh, D8 hit dice. Mm-hmm. Plus con at level 1. Because they get max hit points. Yeah. Uh, they, they have, uh, for proficiencies, light armor, medium armor, shields. Which is a change, because in earlier editions they could use heavy armor. I'm yep. pretty sure. Yep. Um, simple weapons. Uh no tools. They can't use tools. They don't have proficiency in any tools. No. Not even any tool that could resemble clerical. They could not have things. a hammer. They could not use a hammer proficiently when they're trying to spike spike the thing, the nail down into the or the or spike the wooden stake into the vampire's heart. Yeah, yeah. They <laughs> they would miss a lot because they can't use tools. Anyway, <laughs> saving throws uh, are wisdom and charisma, where they get their bonuses at. For skills, they choose two from history, insight, medicine, persuasion, and religion. Mm-hmm. Um, channel divinity. One such effect is turning undead. Uh, once per long rest. Wow. Or once per short rest. Depending. Or short, yeah. Mm-hmm. Present holy symbol and speak a prayer. Each undead within 30 feet make a wisdom save or turn for one minute. Uh, can only use, and turning is the same, they run away, right? Well, there's no... Undead can only use dash or dodge. Yep. Dash or dodge. Actions. No way to break the turning effect. At fifth level, undead turn are destroyed up to if its CR is less than or equal to the hit, hit die threshold. So that they have that little table. Basically, the highest level undead you can actually destroy are four hit dice undead or less. Oh, okay. But, I don't know. That's weird. Yeah. So it, does it? It starts low, like at fifth level. <laughs> yeah, you, it's a half hit dice. So, in considering you're doing level appropriate encounters for D and D, this will never get used. No, 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 don't, don't, no, no. Because in fifth edition, um, skeletons are CR one eighth, and the way they do that, I don't know the rules, but I know that like if you're fifth fifth level, I do not put you against four. I do not put you against a CR five. I'll put you against something lower. Yeah, but that low? Uh, maybe not half. If I did half, it'd be a lot of them. What means yeah. you could turn? Yeah. It's more than it's lower than you would think. The the scales. I mean, yeah, but as far as destroying, it seems less than useful. Yeah, I agree. Uh, level ten, implore DD to intervene on your behalf. Roll to a D roll D uh, roll D twenty, equal to or lower than your cleric level. If success, must wait a week to try again. And at level 20, this succeeds automatically. <laughs> well, because you have to roll a d20. Well, but I mean, but you could at level 20, 20, you go, I want my God to help me out every week, once a week. Once a week, you're going to do what I say. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's whatever. You know, I think a lot of 5e, it's funny. I think when I think about 5e and 4e, 4E sounded good on paper when they described it. And then when I got it, I was like, ugh. Right. 5E doesn't sound good at all when you read it. It sounds kind of weenie. Like you, I think that's that's a good description. And kind of weenie is not the right word. It's kind of bizarre. And then when you play, I kind of enjoy it. I don't hate 5E at all. Not really. I know you don't. You think it's just horrible. But I, I think it's very palatable. Like I've said, my attitude on their... Um, uh, design direction mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, is coloring my 
and I'm not stopping that. It's coloring my opinion of their rules. Fair enough. And uh, I don't care. Yeah. I mean, okay. if I if I try to uh, take a step back, I still think this particular last thing that we just read. Yeah. I mean, so at 20th level, I mean, once a week, that's a once a week wish, probably. That's like automatic uh, wish. That's all it says. It says you can employ your duty to intervene on your behalf. I mean, is Thor going to come down and kick some dragon's face in? Okay, so by uh, I don't know how direct you took this. Mm-hmm. You can implore all you like. Doesn't mean it's going to work. Right. Which to me, you, uh, if that is the case, uh, why ever even have that power? So, if you're successful on your role. That mean you have. That means you have successfully implored your deity to intervene on your behalf. Correct. Whatever that might mean. Mm-hmm. So, that's crazy. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just an opinion. I probably a style. I guess the way it is because five E. You know, sometimes I just didn't get how people said five E was like super heroic. It seemed kind of weird, but I think it is. I mean, and I think it assumes. Look at the beginning. A five E cleric a conduit for divine power and reliance on devotion and intuitive sense of their deity's wishes. A first level cleric has an intuitive sense of what his deity wants done. Yeah. Oh, that's weird. And then at 20th level, you can calm down once a week. Well, you know, calm down strong, but still, I mean, he could essentially get, he could intervene on your behalf. What does that mean? It's gotta be some kind of useful help. And so, I, I mean, it doesn't have to be that. And I'm sure people could call in and go, but you could do this and you could, but it just seems seems they want to play super you are play, I get that that's a superhero that's a that's a superhero type game where you're just like that super powerful and you got got the connection you got the hookup right from first level if your spells are from your deity mm-hmm. you're already successfully imploring your deity multiple times every day to give you power over your enemies so what does it make sense that your cleric also can just pick some random thing for your deity to do for you? But to be fair, a 20th level cleric is a paragon. I'm, I believe would be a paragon of the virtues that his deity espoused. And he would be someone the deity is kindly favored toward. I so get that. It, I, I think it would be possible. I think that might have a chance. For, I think we've called them God calls back in the day. I think I used to give you what? 1% or 5%. One, yeah, it was fair. 1%. Small. But it was like that was for everybody, and clerics might get double that, so they get two percent. But I mean, it was like it's one of those things where I can see it, I guess. But I don't know. It's just for my sensibilities, gods aren't—they're not waiting around for you to call them to do stuff. They're not at your beck and call. But I can see you being favored, and I can see an intervention being something like some fortuitous. Um, convenient thing oh my gosh i'm slipping off this ledge the dragon smacks me and i fall off and as i fall there just happens to be a very sturdy branch about 15 feet 20 feet down no more than that and it's far away from the dragon he thinks you're dead you fall below the cloud line because you're way up high on a mountain and you happen to just grab it that's okay i could see that you know um and i guess it depends on what you want to play i mean if you if you want to play they're just that awesome go ahead i don't know but we're getting off on on opinion. So as a as a as a character, it just strikes me as you're kind of like getting lots and lots of cool stuff. And so I don't think the five E cleric is any weaker than the previous versions of no of other clerics within the game mechanics. So um, 
we kind of hit the highlights on the cleric. And let's talk about a couple of things we've mentioned. Um, remember the adages? Folks used to call clerics heel bots. Right. And we talked about how tough they were, and no one wanted to play them. Why was that? That was because weird. Because you were expected to heal. Yeah. And that means you really didn't have, I mean, you'd have to be prepared to sacrifice what you were doing at the time at in the round. Mm-hmm. I mean, after combat is one thing, but if you're called on within the fight, mm-hmm. you had to sacrifice, especially in early editions, whatever you were going to do otherwise to heal. Right. And, uh, I remember someone playing a cleric saying, don't expect me to heal you in combat. I'm not doing it. I have heard I that. Might not, I might not. He, he was like, I, what do you mean heal? I don't do that. I might charge you? Charge yeah, you? Charging you? Remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For different alignments, I would mm-hmm, charge you for mm-hmm. that. Like, okay, that's weird. But I don't know. So, yeah, I think that was some of the drawbacks. Um, do you like to play them? Yeah. Um, I like playing spellcasters, but they're there. And I don't know about fifth edition or fourth edition, but I, I probably would if there wasn't a wizard. Yeah. Didn't you play a clear pretty through the pretty well through the third edition levels? I did. I did. That was because the wizard was denied me in this campaign. Oh, do not deny me a wizard. Was that worth party balance? Huh? Was it because of like trying to balance the classes out? No, it was because the DM didn't know the spells well and didn't want wizards in the game. Really? Okay. Yeah. So he uh, pretty much curtailed all arcane magic on his world. He had some, it was, we played our first session. I had a wizard mm-hmm. and he's at the end of the session. What we ended up doing was causing magic to stop working. Oh, so then at the end of the session, he said, well, um, anyone who's playing a wizard, you can't cast any spells. Essentially. Oh, so, wow. uh, if That's you happen to find a magic item that has them in there, then mm-hmm. yeah, you can oh, use that my. like a wand. You can right. use a wand, but otherwise you're pretty much screwed. No one would play a wizard. who couldn't cast spells. That's our right. bread and butter. That's right. who they are. Right. That's wow. It would have been better if he had started off that way, but he wanted to surprise us. So used a lot of bad DM, I think, bad DM decisions. Sure, surprises like that can be cool, like in a novel or in a movie. Right. But when you're all, when you've spent the time to make a character, yep. and then the DM says, well, now you can't use that character. Right. You're like, well, screw you too. I mean, right. it's, it's exactly. really, it's really it's bad. Good. It's a, it's a dick. Very bad thing. Yeah. And I think I've probably done stuff like that before in the past. So, so I mean, it's a shame, but you should. I made a cleric, a halfling cleric, and it, he ended up being really tough. I was going to say, didn't you reach like almost 20 levels? Yeah, we played, I think we played all the way up to 20th level. How cool is that? And uh, because of the, this was third edition, not three, five, mm-hmm. um, the Holy Trinity, once we got up to being able to use that, oh boy! Yeah, you were just a boss. Yeah. Do you think they're too good? If you, when I look at the cleric through all the editions, they seem at worst, at worst, they're a maybe second place character after the wizard. Maybe. Maybe. Third edition, they were as good as the wizard. Yeah, yeah. 
if not better. For too many levels, they were better. Right. So um, when you had three five in, holy crap! And I thought in Pathfinder they were boss. I would say overall the clerics are really good. I think the idea of a fighting man who can still cast spells, fully in armor protection, not quite the fighter, but pretty good. I think he's a little too good. Probably. It it's kind of odd that a cleric can cast really powerful magic while in armor, mm-hmm. but a wizard, if they put on leather armor, can't cast through. Yeah, it's weird. I think they're also a little too. The cleric strikes me. That's why I love the specialty priests and I like the domains. Clerics in general and first edition stuff were too generic for me. I mean, if you didn't add a lot of flavor as a player and as a GM to your world and to each god, if you just played clerics, you could play a super. I'm the heel guy. I'm the heel guy with the armor. I'm pretty good dude. I'm faithful. Praise some random deity. Right. Um, It's supposed to be generic, though. I mean, the whole game is generic. Yes, and I think maybe maybe it's up to you then. Maybe that's a good point, Joe. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just up to the DM and the players to make their world more their own. Right. A um, couple of big things I thought come up to connect to this. I had some clerics, some players tell me they didn't want to play a cleric because they didn't want to have to be religious. And they didn't want to follow some religion in the game. And not because they were atheists, they just they want to be, didn't like all the requirements on them. They didn't um, want to. They didn't want to misstep and then lose their cleric abilities. Yeah, and I've always wanted. I've always wanted. I've always someone who's a cleric. I don't like the generic cleric in a campaign. I don't like someone saying I'm just a cleric. I just worship some random god, and they might even name them. That's one of the problems I have with Thirteenth Age too. They have no gods at all. And I just maybe it's because I want a rich world where a cleric of Odin is different than a cleric of Bast is a different from a cleric from Loki. I mean, I want them to be they should act different. There should be some differences. And it, even if it's just in rituals, but um, I don't I think don't, it's all that hard. There's no. Well, because they want their player players want their characters to be able to do whatever. Right. So any sort of restriction on what they're they envision their character to be doing uh, will, and that might be the whole reason why a lot of people don't want to have clear play clear because yeah. different religions have different restrictions and they even if it never never ever ever comes up because most of the time it's not going to. Yeah, well, you know, and I, I think really it should be smaller things. And but if you're good, I mean, it should be to get those kind of powers from the god. There should be a price to pay. And uh, this always brings the question of the paladin. We talked about the paladin and cleric not being very well distinguished. If you have a cleric, do you even need a paladin? If you have a paladin, do you really need a cleric? I really think that the game game design, they should choose one. I agree. Because really, they're doing the same things. Unless you take the cleric and you take their armor and weapons away. Yeah. And they're just a divine wizard. In, a, in essence, right. They can have the turning and mm-hmm. all the other stuff, but if you take away their armor and their weapons, and uh, they just have maybe they just have simple weapons, yeah. uh, or some small selection like the wizards have a small selection, and they they don't have any armor proficiencies, then and they could pick those up, but that doesn't mean that you can cast any spells in them. So right. I think there should be some. That would bring them on par with, especially in third edition, on par with wizards. Now, in old D&D, you may not want to do that because I don't even think they had paladins. No, they didn't. So that's fine. You just have the cleric and and just leave them alone. They're fine. 
holy warrior blessed by the gods could do magical things and miracles. They have far fewer spells than the wizard class. Which D&D version of the cleric's your favorite and why? If you had to Um, pick. You know, if I had to pick one, it might be the old D&D. Oh, really? Because it had its niche Mm -hmm. and uh, there wasn't a paladin to kind of muddy the waters on what its role was. You just had the cleric. And it was probably more balanced because it it had fewer spells than the wizard uh, or the magic user. And um, it had limitations on the weapons. Yep. So it wasn't quite quite as good as the fighter. Right. So it's it's probably in some ways better designed. Uh, Later on, they just threw the kitchen sink at it. And it's funny because even though I complain about the power of the cleric, I think it's broken. I really like the specialty priest from second edition, even though, the, but I like the flavor more than all the extra bonuses. Right, right. I really thought it was cool that, you know, a cleric of Hanali something or other, who is the halfling cleric of love is very different than a cleric of Thor. And they got special powers to prove it, different weapons, different this, different that. They didn't all turn undead. Cleric, Druids didn't turn undead, though they were clerics of nature. Um, I thought, um, no, I agree with you. I think the old D&D was simpler, had its own role to fill, and wasn't nearly as um, redundant as he became, and powerfully so. I mean, he went from being not quite the fighter, not quite the wizard, to being mm, all but the fighter and as good as the wizard and wearing armor. Right. He wasn't really the fighter in pure melee until he got the Holy Trinity in third edition. But then, I mean, there are other ways, too, to become that kind of broken cleric. So, right. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about one variant. That's about some fun variants of a cleric. One was, you know, forget the whole... Uh, wizard uh, cleric separation and just, I'd say, forget the cleric and use the paladin and let the wizards decide that you can have white wizards or wizards that heal or like in Savage Worlds, wizards that use, you know, the heal spell, which we have those in our game. Magic is magic. Magic is magic, yeah. Um, and then, remember, <laughs> I can't believe I did this in terms of balance, but in the late second edition stage, I became enamored of clerics calling the power that they needed at the time. I couldn't, I couldn't wrap my mind around why would a cleric prepare raise dead? Right. That just seemed dumb. Yeah. Seemed, and, and furthermore, why would the God give him the power of raising the dead that he could have upon a command? And so I'll, I'll let clerics pick their spells on the fly, which made them even more powerful, but I wouldn't let the wizards do it. Right. I thought it was too powerful. I think. Well, yeah. if you're going to do the on the fly like that, mm-hmm. I would say, especially if the cleric had all the fighting ability that it did, let's say third edition, let's say in third edition, you said, oh, yeah. I didn't do that in third. I did it in second. Right. Then, well, even in second, they had pretty good combat abilities. Yes, they did. I would say I would restrict the number of spells significantly. Yes. So, yeah, you can you can call down whatever you want, but you only get to do it a couple of times per spell yeah. level. Correct. Maybe something like that. Maybe even less than that. They may only get to cast a couple spells per day. Yeah. Period. So, but I like the idea of a, I would, now you could give a cleric like that a lay on hand ability of a paladin. Mm-hmm. Sure. And make sure. the paladin more like the Templar type champion, you know, and a professor dungeon master, his clerics are Templars and they have very strict rules on his clerics. So, what about other systems? I mentioned like our Savage Worlds game, 13th Age, the Oracle and Pathfinder was a nice kind of sorcerer cleric combo. Right. I, I think those you like better or worse. Hmm? Uh, I like the it? Oracle and Pathfinder, but it was like a lot of things in Pathfinder. It was probably too tough. Just like well, a, it, it was a big power up. Um, 
but I think the Oracle probably is a better, it's the, it's the more, it's like the wizardy cleric or yep. sorcery sorcerer didn't wear armor yeah. didn't wear armor used sorcerer type rules and had some uh, interesting abilities you could probably just dump the cleric with one of them what about 13th uh, age oh sorry go ahead finish finish your thought um but yeah 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 i'm good yeah so 13th age like i've already mentioned now they're like other there's kind of a mix between third and fourth edition so you had powers and stuff and i like the cleric but i don't like their vagueness they're just like the gods don't really care. The clerics don't get powers from the gods. They get their powers from their own beliefs and their focus, but they kind of don't even, they say you don't even got to mention gods, which I personally don't like that. I like a mythology, I like a pantheon. I like all that in my world. If you're not That's going to mention gods, you probably shouldn't have clerics. <laughs> I agree. I agree. And What's plus, the point? well, just, a, I don't know. You can, cause you can heal yourself. In 13th age and fourth edition with your with your surges or your recoveries, so they didn't seem necessary. Um, Savage worlds they just blend powers with powers. They do have a in Deadlands they have the Blessed, but I mean in a fantasy world, we look at the fantasy companion. I mean, they say you can restrict spells if you want, but you can we're going wide open. You know we got mm-hmm. three casters and our well four casters counting you in the group, and one of them's pretty Healy, Patrick's mm-hmm. wife. And Patrick and Jeff are both wizardy dudes, and you're kind of the rangery dude. You, you picked them. You kind of carefully, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not collected, but um, curated your spell list to make him kind of just a yeah. he buffs himself or other people. It's more of a rangery dude, but um, yeah, I picked the spells that I thought would help him out in in combat. So, so do you like that system of spells better or not? Where, where it's just power spells that you pick and magic's magic's magic. Oh, I prefer magic is magic. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think as far as when you're talking about a generic system like D and D is, mm-hmm. it, it's probably better served to say magic is magic, and then uh, give tools to the DM to craft their world the way they want. Yeah, because really, if I just said okay, do play D and D, there are no clerics. Wizards can cast any spell, even cleric spells. But if they got to prepare them and find them, I mean, just because I say you can doesn't make it any easier in getting more spells. Correct. And you got to still, and now you've got even harder choices. Man, do I want to take heal or do I want to take, you know, teleport? Right. Or do I want to take blade barrier? That's pretty boss. Or do I want to take, you know, another six level spell of some sort? So then, then you get to have that same conversation with the players. Why didn't you, why didn't you select healing as a spell? I said, I would say because everybody here can heal themselves already. If you're playing a particular version, like a uh, 13th age or whatever. Yeah. But if we're playing standard D and D, I think you could even do that. And that would make, and that would, the danger is it would make the magic user even more important because no one would want to do an adventure without a magic user, unless you gave the paladin clerical type powers where he could lay on hands very strongly. And he could maybe call down some divine wrath of some sort every but like very limited like once or twice a day he could have a spell like power that wouldn't be so bad if he made a certain role and god call but you know somehow doing it differently they're just letting him do it however you want to do it right. that could make him interesting but he wouldn't be but like man i'd like to have a wizard cast heal three times a day that'd be pretty sweet and be like yeah that's true so that but yeah that'd be one problem i think would be having the wizard become too important but I think he already is very important in every version of the game, so it may not matter. 
Right. <sighs> so, any final thoughts on the cleric? Um, I think we covered just about all my thoughts. Uh, what about discussing here at the end the idea of... I'm sorry, were you thinking of something else? I was trying. Go ahead. I was going to say, what about the idea of the, the position or role of healer? Would you prefer it to be spread out, like in a 13th age system where several classes can do some cool heal stuff? You can do your own cool heal stuff. Like, you know, I've always thought I wondered if a resurgence mechanic where a fighter could, you know, re-fortify himself after a short rest and not defined by 5th edition, just the short rest in general terms, and get a few hit points back. I kind of like that ability for certain characters, but I don't think I want it to be all the time. It probably will depend on the tone of the game. <laughs> so if you're doing old school, gritty type um, gameplay, that probably no. won't work very well. No. But uh, if you're doing like standard fantasy fare, you know, where you know, it's just regular D and D, I think that could work. Uh, also, I think something that could something that could uh, help out. See, healing is an issue with D&D because you have, excuse me, healing is an issue in D&D because you have a lot of hit points. Yes. And you're constantly needing to get those hit points back. Right. So one way to do it is to have better access to healing potions. Gotcha. So, um, or some mundane way to heal like herbs and whatnot. Right. That's yeah. significant. So, uh, so that anybody with the appropriate background or skill, depending on how you do that in your game could have some, um, herbs or ointments on hand or a magical potion. That's not too expensive, or you could just say healing potions as they're presented aren't necessarily magical. Right. They're just a, an herbal concoction that you can buy and make them not that expensive. They'll be more, they'll be more, they'll be expensive enough that the common person couldn't have a bunch of them, but adventurers who are typically a little more well off yeah. than your standard, uh, D and D, uh, average guy on the uh, guy in the village, you're going to have more, more resources at hand and can probably pick them up or have somebody in the party that might know how to put one together got some alchemy or some herbalism or is a rangery dude or a druidy dude that knows woods you know knows the best berries and the best sort of can make the pace that would heal you or whatever that would be all right yeah so at low levels you could have you could still have that be a role that a person has that so you don't lose the teamwork aspect mm -hmm. um but um for the low level game you can have uh that not necessarily be um dependent on the cleric or dependent on magic to resolve. Yeah. And at high level, you want to make the healing potions and stuff weak enough to where high level characters aren't like, I can buy 5,000 of them. Yeah. But they heal a D eight at a time. Right. An action for a D eight hit points. You're only going to waste your time when you need 40. No, right. right Give right. me a heal spell. Do something cool. You know? Right. Yeah. True. All right. Anything else you want to talk about with healing or clerics? I don't think so. All right. I think it's, Clerics are an interesting, powerful class that few people want to play. It's weird. I agree with you. I think I think it's got uh, I think traditionally. Really now these days maybe not because the oh, whole restrictions on your actions for your deity isn't there. So yeah, five e not so much. Right. 
I think back in the day, the heel bot issue, the religious restrictions kind of held a lot of people back. Yeah. And now I don't know so much that's the case. At least in our in our neck of the woods, they seem to hold people back. So right. maybe others out there would have a comment. So Right. All right. Shall we move on to a little – this is going to be a little cabin con moment because I only have one comment. Sure. I was asking you in cabin con here as we transition, how long – so you start thinking about Cabin Con 16 with Gusto. I mean, we mentioned how fun and we're excited and love to go back. But when you really dig in and say, hey, I need to start preparing. If I, for me, I have an answer from a DM's perspective. Do you have an answer from players slash DM perspective? It comes and goes throughout the year. Mm-hmm. So, okay. so when you think about it, you're like, oh, this would be cool to do. Mm-hmm. And then you might jot some notes down. And mm-hmm. then you have to deal with life. And yeah. then... Uh, a couple months later, oh, this would be cool too. So it comes and goes. So yeah. probably for me, January ish. Yeah, January, February, I'm like getting serious. Yeah. I'm thinking after the holidays, I'm like, I got to start thinking about it. And usually by the end of February, I'm like, I did sooner than that this year. I got to write some stuff down. I got to start planning what adventures precisely. I got to make decisions. I'm like, how many, you know, my two games are going to become four because, you know, that's how I do. I try to do two, but I always do four or more. And uh, let me decide which ones I'm going to do. Yeah, I think that's the case. So CabinCon 16, right now, I'm like you. I just jot notes in random places, it seems like, though I have a CabinCon folder somewhere. And then come around January, February, Randy's getting serious. I'm going to prep this game. Then I'm going to prep that game. Then I'm going to prep this game. Right. And usually I'm working until about two weeks before CabinCon. I've been trying to get done about two weeks before CabinCon in the last few years, and I've succeeded that way. All right. Yeah. All right, so... Just a short comment on CabinCon. Now, we're going to try out a new segment today, and I would love people to comment if they find this interesting. I title it, at least right now, Like It, Love It, or Leave It. And I want to get it as a – this is a chance for me and Joe to work off the cuff. He has thought of three questions to ask me, and I've thought of three questions to ask him. Uh, Mine are more statements, and I want to get his opinion on it, whether he likes it, loves it, or leaves it. Um, And this might spark more conversation. It should be more about – being geeks but it might be something outside of geekery i I won't promise we won't do anything political or religious to throw people off but it won't be on purpose trying to be i'm not going to try to be particularly provocative in these it's just to get to know joe better and joe and you guys get to know me better um so would you like to go first or maybe we'll go back go first go first all right mine are coming at you with one words one word questions okay okay the first one is anime um, let's see. I'd have to uh, in these. Uh, I'd lean heavily to leave it, but some of it I like. Okay, but you um, leaving it. So one that I like have liked anime wise is Bleach. Hmm. Okay, never seen that one. And uh, Bleach is uh, a long running. I don't know if it's stopped. It has lots of episodes. Oh, really? Okay. Um, it's about a fish out of water initially, uh, kind of situation where you have a, a t- teenager uh, who's kind of selected to become a um, the way that, a substitute uh, in the in the uh, mythos of this world of this anime. Uh, it's called a soul reaper hmm. and it sounds kind of bad, but what they do is they defeat these um, creatures who devour souls 
and they assist wandering spirits to where they're supposed to go. That, um, that's, inter- that's interesting. Does, is there something that's uh, there's something you'd have to? Can you watch it on one of the streaming services or something you got to like buy? Um, it's on Hulu. Oh, okay. And it's been around a long time. Yeah, there's uh, hundreds of episodes. Wow. Isn't your wife a big fan of anime? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I remember um, the first anime I watched was Ra- oh, not Ranma, was um, what's the one ever back in the day everybody talked about it? Record of Akira. the Akira. No, Akira. 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 Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. So, Akira, I tried to like it. But it was a confused mess of different things happening, <laughs> and uh, and I didn't. It's an anime works a particular way. Mm-hmm. It's a particular type of storytelling. Yep. And presentation that is sometimes, and it's uh, it covers a lot of ground. There's different types of anime, and yep. some of them. It's like the the anime where when people are getting ready to battle. Yep. It takes 10 minutes of running at each other to accomplish. Uh, or, and, and Bleach has this too. It's very, very serious. And all of a sudden, some zany thing happens and totally ruins the mood. But it's the way anime works. So yeah, when I'm like, what do they do that for? My wife is like, it's anime. It's supposed to do that. You mentioned all the things that, and this is about Joe, but I'm going to make a comment on my side. <laughs> I would absolutely leave it in the garbage. And we got a lot of friends that like it. I just can't. I watch I, Joe's recommended record of Lotus War. I tried to watch about 10 minutes. I'm probably, here's the thing. I'm scarred by two animes. Akira, which I was pushed in college to watch. And I'm sorry, it was dog poop. Mm. And then I watched Fist of the North Star as a second recommendation. And that's where your thing came in. And the guy's like, we're going to fight. I'm going to fight you. And then, whoa, he's flying through the air with his fist out for a half hour. Then they switch to the other guy. He's flying through his fist for that, through the air with his fist for a half hour. And it was just me and Darren, <laughs> Big D, watched it. And uh, I, I was doing a little MST3K when it came. I forgot about 20 minutes in because I hated it. Dude rips his shirt off, and the character has no nipples. And I, and I dubbed it myself. I said, I'm the nippleless warrior. None yeah. can defeat me. <laughs> and we just started dying. I was like, I just hate, I don't hate it really like I used to. I just don't, I think I just don't get it. But uh, I know you've, you've, didn't you watch something about, um, there's a real sad one that came out a few years ago that everybody loved. It was critically acclaimed. I know there's Howl's Haunting, Haunted Castle, Walking Castle. And then there's another one that was, I, remember, I know Patrick and his wife, I think Jeffrey watched it. It was like really sad, kind of a World War, a wartime thing. That oh, they, yeah. A butter the butterfly one yeah it's supposed yeah. to be like really you only have japanese for you right i mean they're it's they're usually pretty big on tragedy so it's very tragic okay. and i had no idea what it was so you would say you like some but it's you're pretty picky with it then it's very picky if it okay. gets too zany mm-hmm. or too they can get really close like um black butler yeah it is extremely edgy toward pedophilia oh dude no thank you i know i know they have like something called tentacle porn is like i mean even the regular that's that's hentai to be fair i've watched ranma one half an episode at gen con and it kind of made me chuckle yeah it's supposed to be funny and vampire hunter d was okay and that's my that's the best i can say for anime right (laughs) Uh, i'll tell you like a lot of things 
Vampire Hunter D is gr- is pretty cool to read, but not but so good to watch. Not so good to watch. Gotcha. Yeah, it's okay. Okay. All right. So yeah, keep going. Okay. So uh, second for Joe, Star Trek. Star Trek. Star Trek. I like it. Yeah. Uh, I'm not. I'm not a cosplay fanboy type of person. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, sometimes I'll be interested in getting a thing that's Star Wars like, but it soon passes. I, mean, I love Trek. watching it and talking Star about Trek. the Star lore. Trek. You said Star Trek means Star Trek like, right? Yeah, Star Trek. Either okay. yeah, Star Trek. Star Trek. Yeah. Um, so you you like watching it and talking about the lore? The lore, but tell me this. Can I ask you interrupt you for a second? Yeah. Would you, if there was a convention near our city and we had a Saturday off and say, "Hey Joe, it's a Star Trek convention. You want to go check it out?" And you had if I had time. nothing else to do, yeah, I'm not big on conventions, so no, that's a I'm different. Just saying, but you wouldn't be. But you'd be like, if you had the time and the money, it was no big deal. You're like, that sounds all right. Let's go do it. Be, be an okay afternoon to at least explore. Yeah. Okay. Especially if the uh, emission fees are low. Yeah, right, because it can get expensive, sure. Right, right, right. But you like it. You wouldn't call it love, but you like it. Yeah. Cool. Um, I could call it love, but with parameters. I love right. watching it, and yeah. I love talking about the lore, but that's okay. about it. Gotcha. Oh, play, okay. I would play a game based, oh, okay. in, based in Star Wars. Like, like Star Trek? Or Star Trek, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, so because that, that's something. There's a game, Star Trek Adventures, that's out now, a new one. There's been a couple of role-playing games. I always wondered if that would go well. All right. Ready for the last one? Go ahead. Uh, shoot your curveball. Gardening. Gardening is interesting. Um, okay. We have a vegetable garden in our backyard. I thought so. And uh, I like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I would like to have more than a small plot to work with. So, uh, yeah. Uh, we got a small plot, so we have to make really precise decisions on what we're going to plant. I like the results a lot yeah. more than the work. Ooh. Yes. What uh, about, would you want enough land where you had, now do you do you have a tiller? I do, but uh, I haven't used it in a while. Okay. Would you want enough land where you had to use a gas-powered tiller? and had? I mean, you had like a big plot of land where you had to farm really do like serious gardening i mean granted i mean say you I had think the uh, most i would want to have half is, an acre that too much quarter acre? oh i think i'd rather have something more along the lines of one to three acres a total property mm-hmm. but for but a I still there's ways you can do gardening and not till oh okay i you didn't know. till once mm-hmm. and then if you prepare the the ground right you wouldn't have to till it again the problem oh. with tilling it all the time is um, over time you develop uh, an ecosystem within the soil. So there's little critters oh. and stuff. And every time you till it, you screw that up. Oh, okay, okay. Gotcha. And, yeah. Critters, so for big, big, critters that do good thing for the plants. Right. So yeah. and the big farm operations where they till up the ground every year and everything and do the monocropping mm-hmm. is is really not great for the soil. It causes a lot of erosion and stuff. So Don't they have to do a lot of ro- crop rotation so that it works out well? Yeah, but they don't do it. Oh, that's not great. Yeah, the gigantic operations, they they use their entire crop land. I don't think they that that, uh, for most of those guys, rotating isn't a thing. They just throw down um, 
fertilizers and use a lot of chemicals and stuff. Gotcha. And, and yeah. But I was more on like personal gardening because I'm thinking about getting more into it. Do you like? Uh, so you so you like overall? It. I like it. But you you love the, you love what you get. You love the food. I love the food. What I love not and I don't not just the food. The idea that I I'm um, stepping away from the uh, modern um, food industry. Yeah. So the more I can disengage from all that stuff, I think is better because you get yeah, better Devin, food. You get better yeah, food out of it. Dev and I just bought, I had a guy, he's making us a 10, uh, five gallon, bucket. it holds five gallon buckets, wooden frame for mm-hmm. a freestanding, basically garden that we can put stuff in these container garden, container garden. Yeah. So we're, we're kind of excited about that. We're going to get cool. that. So I can't wait. All right. You want to shoot some at me, bud? Yes. Right. Westerns. Westerns. I love them. <laughs> and only recently in my life could I say that. Early on in my life, I remember my grandfather and some uncles would watch those. And they'd be like, I'm so bored. Mm-hmm. Can't we watch a scary movie? Can't we watch Star Wars? Well, actually, back then it wasn't Star Wars, but couldn't we watch Pro when I was young? Couldn't we watch wrestling? Yes. You know, but uh, I used to love that. But like, it was like, but Westerns, man, uh, and, and spaghetti Westerns. I mean, Tombstone turned, the year Tombstone, Tombstone came out, I turned my eye toward Westerns and I got into Deadlands and now I love it. I bought especially Clint Eastwood Westerns, the spaghetti Westerns, the good, the bad, and the ugly and all those. Have you seen Silverado yet? I have not. It's on my list. I need to watch. You told me about that. I got to watch Silverado. That's supposed to be a really good one. Um, I just love the whole genre. And I love, I love, I don't mind the formula because I like when the good guys win and you get a lot of that in a lot of the Westerns. Right. Right. It's kind of a hero journey type show. Mm -hmm. Uh, Um, but yeah, I like that. sometimes there's some tragedy though. Sometimes yeah. the hero beats the bad guy, but he dies anyway. Yeah. So th- th- to me, they're just really cool. In fact, well, that's just a variation. It's a yeah. variation. Sacrifice yourself. Yeah. I definitely like Westerns. I yes. love Westerns. Love yeah. it. Yeah. Gen Con. Ask that one. Oh, had you asked me this ten years ago, it would have been love. Because you know, for about I've been to about twenty of those things. Mm-hmm. And I was way into it. Now it's simply too big. And I don't care about the COVID stuff. It's just too big. Um, I don't feel, I don't feel like I belong there. Um, I don't fit the mold of a lot of the, a lot of the gamers. There, there's definitely an old school um, uh, contingent. And I don't mean like old school gaming, just older people. It's too much money. So I'm kind of at the like it a little Kind of like how you feel about anime, but more leave it. Um, yeah, we had a completely different answer 10 years ago. But Gen Con is just, I don't know, it's too much, um, a lot of flesh too, a lot of super sexy cosplay. Um, don't need those images in my head. Uh, I struggle enough with that. Um, yeah, Gen Con is not, uh, yeah, it's it's real close to the leave it. Though I have to admit, with the COVID thing, and them cutting down to 35K this year, I was partially tempted is not the word, but intrigued to go because I would love to be an indie with only 35,000 Gen Con attendees. That would be a totally different animal. Oh, it would be probably just fabulous um, if you had the same space. Um, but I think we're requiring, you know, mask everywhere you go and all that stuff. So, which is kind of silly because I don't think Indiana requires Indiana. Just, last time I was in Indiana a month ago and they don't require a mask at all, anywhere at all. So um, it's, it's uh 
tricky territory to, uh, they probably, I don't know what their policy was with vaccinations, mm-hmm. but um, it would have been a tricky policy had they, I'm not sure if they did or not, uh, said, if you have your vaccine, you don't have to have a mask and then right. have some sort of proof to bring. Well, they would, they would, and they would incur some sort of liability. I wonder, I know that Alex Cameron, I heard this on a pod, I think it was on the uh, Tinkar. Some of you listened to their, his interview with Alex Cameron from GameholeCon. They're about 3K people. They, they're requiring vaccines to go now. And um, while I don't agree with Alex for doing that, I'm fine with him saying it. It's his, his convention and he's requiring it. And, um, and they're not having masks. If you're, if you're, you go, you don't have to wear a mask because they're going to be vaccinated. So I don't know. The uh, number of people you- who've gotten COVID after getting a vaccine is kind of high. So it's kind of a silly requirement. Is it really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, off that, but Gen Con, yeah, yeah it's mostly legal. Um, DVDs, as in collecting yeah. them. <laughs> like it. Used to love it. I have quite a few. Um, I I know you can stream everything. You got Netflix. You can watch all these movies and Prime. And if you pieced all the streaming devices that I can get access to in the streaming programs, I wouldn't need a DVD ever. I bought much less in the last five or six years. But if I got a cool, Lord of the Rings, I bought the special edition. I don't regret it. I would absolutely want to have the DVD. I don't want just to watch it on Netflix or whatever. Um, the superhero stuff, I'm losing my interest in. But DVDs, I would say I like. I still like a physical DVD. Um, it applies to Blu-ray, too, obviously. And so basically for me, DVDs are something I can't let go of the physical, just like I couldn't with music CDs for a long time. Things I really like, I want to have a copy of. I was buying lots of movies for a while. I got probably two, three dozen movies I wish I'd never bought. But um Right now, I still like them. I tend to don't watch them very much. I tend to do more streaming, but um, you know, or, or watch you know Netflix or I guess Netflix is streaming. But yeah, I like them. Used to love them. Used to love them. Right. It's uh for for now, it's kind of a toss up between space and whether or not I'm going to rewatch the movie. Right. Right. Lord of the Rings. I know I will. I watch it every year. So. And I like to watch my extended full-on edition, you know, subtitles, all that good stuff. So, where you need a whole week to watch it, <laughs> pretty much, because it's like eleven and a half hours long. Right. But it's worth every minute. It really is. So anyway, I think we're done with that. I would yeah. like it if folks would call in and tell me if they think this is a useful thing, if they would like to hear more about us and something different. So, anyway, so uh, I think it's time to wrap things up, bud, because we don't have a negative plane because we're like in good mood. Good mood. All good. Although you tried to get me into the negative material plane earlier. Oh, I know. I pushed you a little bit. Push me. Walked you to the edge. Anyway, if you'd like to support our show, please uh, help get the word out. Check out our podcast or our website, www.biggestgeekestpodcast.com. If you feel like hitting the support button, throwing us a few few dollars, that'd be cool. If not, just spread it around to your friends. Let them know that we're in here and we smell good. Um, check us out on YouTube as well. Rate us on iTunes or other podcatchers. And Odyssey. Oh, Odyssey now. Yeah, dude. Odyssey, alternative for you uh, decentralized folks out there, which we all should try to be. Um, one of our friends uh, gave us a, a like on the Spotify. He's apparently you can oh, podcast. Um, our emails are still the same, or did you change it, Joe? 
I did. You know what it is? Um, the Geeks. Oh, the Geeks at Biggest Geek. Yeah. Is it a lowercase? Everything's lower lowercase. Okay, the new the new um, email is thegeeks at biggestgeekspodcast.com. Send us any questions or comments, especially about what you thought about the latest ep- the latest episode and our new segment. I thought it was kind of fun. Um, we'd like to encourage you to check out a few podcasts we have listed down at the bottom. One is also a blog, Clear Swell Ring Mail. Taylor called in today. I'm really liking that. You need to read that, Joe. There's a lot of good stuff on there. I have read some. Yeah, it's pretty good. All right. Well, it was a good time tonight, bud. Yes, it was. This is Randy. And I'm Joe. Remember, can't be big like us. You can be geeks like us. Yeah.